<laughs> Pot of gold. I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the match because they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly. I'm still fly. I know. I'm still fly. I'm still fly. Let's go. It could all be worse. I could be a hater like you. It could. to make the man, but that poison's gonna chew you. Chest now, say it with your chest I'm now. Young, I'm free. Can't nobody take me here and now. It's my time to ride it out. It's my time. It's my time. It's my time to ride it. I'm young. I'm free. Can't nobody take. Hey guys, how's it going? It is Saturday, June 19th, the year of our Lord, 2021, and it's a great day to be here. It is the first official Juneteenth, a brand new federal holiday that we just got. It's brand new, guys, fresh out of the oven. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It is exciting. What's that you say? But we haven't had a new federal holiday since 1983 when Martin Luther King Jr. Day was created? Listen, I know what you're thinking. You're like, look at him in here making up holidays. That silly goose. And you know what? I can't hold it against you that you're a bit in the dark. You're a bit behind the times. I can't hold that against you. I, I may have been like you at some point. There's a possibility that I didn't know about Juneteenth until I saw it in an episode of Blackish like four years ago. I... I can't take that back. I can't make somebody teach it to me in the past. I can't take a time machine back to 1997 and make my teacher tell me what Juneteenth was. She probably didn't even know. But the important thing is we're correcting that now. And we are teaching our kids about it. It's a thing. It exists. In case you didn't know, Juneteenth celebrates the Emancipation Proclamation, which effectively ended slavery in the United States of America. And... Yeah, it took two years to get around. I guess the mail was slow. But two years later, in 1865, on June 19th, Union Major General Gordon Granger announced the end of slavery in Galveston, Texas, in accordance with President Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation of two years earlier. Pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. So my only question is, how has this not been a holiday forever? It almost seems like there's some racist stuff going on. Like maybe there'd be people who wouldn't be so happy if it was a federal holiday. I think it's obvious what happened. The black community wants to have all the fun holidays for themselves. That's why black culture, just like Kwanzaa. And I've had enough of it. From now on, I'm celebrating Juneteenth every year. And I don't care who tries to stop me. You've had your fun, black community. It's time for Whitey to celebrate. (laughs) Uh, As much as I love that joke, I do think it's probably kind of risky. But the truth of the matter is, who cares why it's taken so long? Let's celebrate now. It's here now. Let's unite as a human race and celebrate this fact that some people made a really good decision a really long time ago. And let's keep making good decisions moving forward. 
You know what I mean? The reality is there's probably a pretty good chance that racism could have been the reason that it took so long to become a holiday. Or maybe people just forgot. Who knows? I don't know. I don't, I don't really, that's not what this is about. I'm not trying to look for ways to select who is the most victimized. I'm just trying to look for the positive. You know, every cloud has a silver lining. And in this situation, it's really easy to see. So I think this is great. It's a victory for our country, and I'm excited about it. I think it's a step in the right direction. The bill passed the House on Wednesday with a vote of 415 yes to 14 no votes after the Senate unanimously passed the legislation the day before. Who are these 14 dissenters, you might ask? Well, I'll tell you. The 14 Republicans who voted against the bill were Representatives Thomas Massey of Kentucky, Mo Brooks of Alabama, Scott Desjarles, Desjarles? Who knows? He's from Tennessee. Andy Biggs of Arizona, Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin, Doug LaMalfa of California, that sounds like a name of a hitman, Tom McClintock of California, that one sounds like a, like a detective with a drinking problem in an 80s movie. God damn it, McClintock, get in here! McClintock, get in here! McClintock! Mike Rogers of Alabama, Matt Rosendale of Montana, Ronnie Jackson of Texas, Ralph Norman of South Carolina, Andrew Clyde of Georgia, Chip Roy from Texas. He sounds like he works in like, I don't know, either like a garbage man or he works for a street paving business. Chip Roy Asphalt will fix your chips. And Paul Gosar of Arizona. Quite a list, huh? Yeah, so I don't know anything about a single one of these people. And... You know, a lot of you probably don't either, but those are the guys who voted no for the Juneteenth thing. So either they think all of their constituents are racists or they are themselves racists. But who am I to judge? I'm sure there's also some chance that it could have been a fiscal concern, like the fact that letting everybody have an extra day off from work is going to cost the government millions of dollars or some shit like that. That sounds like a cop out to me, but I don't know. I'm not a fiscal analyst. So, who knows? As we all know, the most important thing a father can do for his children is to pass on wisdom through the generations. So when this new federal holiday was formed, I thought it would be important to, you know, share that with my children. The two oldest were not available. So I got Amelia. She came out to the studio with me and we were gonna have a nice little talk about Juneteenth. This is how it went. Another cookie. Another cookie? Where'd you get the first cookie? It was on the stove. Oh. On the pan. Was it good? Yeah. Good. Amelia, do you know what Juneteenth is? I don't know. Never heard of it? Mm-mm. Well, would you like to learn what it means? Yeah, but I want another cookie. Well, funny that you ask. Juneteenth is a federal holiday in the United States as of very recently. Please, can I have another cookie? That commemorates the end of slavery. Yeah, big deal. Please stop touching the table. And is regularly observed with celebrations of African-American culture. Originating in Galveston, Texas, it has been celebrated annually on June 19th in various parts of the United States since 1866. Did you know that? Mm-mm. I didn't know it my whole life. But yeah, do you know what slavery is? No. Slavery is when a long time ago people used to take other people and make them work really hard. Why? And never let them go home and not pay them any money. 
Yeah, it was really horrible. And Juneteenth is when they celebrate the end of that legal practice. There was a president, must have been Lincoln. Hey, listen up, this is important stuff. Don't you want to know our history? Nope. You gotta know. I don't want it. Why not? Because. Can you imagine what it would be like if we had to live at somebody else's house and work, do all their work for them and we didn't get any money? Yeah. That'd be terrible. They used to do that to people. And they don't anymore. It's a good thing. So I am going down. You can't go down. The door's shut. The door's open. Oh, well, I better shut it. So I... Hey, Mills, please don't leave. Can you please hang with me for a few minutes? Nope. Okay, Mills, fine. What? I'll just go ask Shishmelia to be on the podcast. Well, I need somebody to be on the podcast with me, and no one will help. I'll be the podcaster. Well, then come up here and do it. I'll find somebody else. Mopping it. That's okay. Go ahead. Do your mopping, and I'll find somebody else. I will be on the podcast if it's clean up here. Oh, that's the issue, huh? Well, Mills, you have any more questions about Juneteenth? Nope. It's a brand new holiday. Should have been a holiday a long time ago. I don't think I even learned about it until I was in my 20s. I don't know why. That should have been way earlier. This, it should, it, I mean, it should have been a holiday in 1866. What is the blue thing for? What? What's the blue thing for? I don't remember mentioning a blue thing. No. This. What does that have to do with Juneteenth and the Emancipation Proclamation? I don't know. Well, that's right. With that, that, with that attitude, you never will. Yeah, but... Amelia, I'm just trying to teach you some culture, some history. Come on. Who knows it, and I don't. Well, you could. But how? You just got to listen. You just got to educate yourself. No, Come on, you're three years old. It's time you got with it. Are you mad at me now? Yes. Did I insult you? No. Okay, okay. I'll come up and show you what I'm talking about. This. Oh, you okay? Oh, a dustpan. Dustpan. Can you say dustpan? Dustpan. Is anybody up here? Mom! I'm up here. I'm up here. You're up here? Yes. Oh, I'm trying to educate our daughter, and she just doesn't want to do it. I get some cleaning up here. I've been missing you, Mills. You can do this part. Okay. Amelia, what'd you learn today? Daisy, get out of here. Get out. Amelia, what'd you learn today? I don't know. What'd you learn about Juneteenth? I don't know. Come on, we just talked about it. Can't you tell me what you learned? I can't. Why? Because I'm sorry. If you can tell me what you learned, I'll give you a treat. What's this new holiday? What's it called? Uh, um, we're busy here, Dad. You're busy here? Come on, Mom. Let's do it down. Okay. Been great hanging out. Okay, so we actually have a fantastic show for you today. Speaking of holidays, it is the Father's Day episode. But Jeff, why didn't you do a Juneteenth episode since you're actually releasing this on Juneteenth and not on Father's Day? 
Well, that's because Juneteenth wasn't a holiday when I started this, and now it is. This week, I decided to just kind of put it in here too because that's exciting. So you got a double holiday episode. That's awesome. You're welcome. The reason I wanted to make this episode is because, you know, I make fun of my dad on this show occasionally because he can handle it, and he's funny. That's really the whole thing. Is like my dad's a, a unique character. He's a crazy dude, you know. He's he's a wild and crazy guy. It's fun to talk about him, and he's part of me. Like I came from him, so it's it's almost like I'm talking about myself. I I don't really think it's that big of a deal, but I want to make sure that people know that I love him. Like I also like to talk about some of the harder shit that I went through as a kid. And that, you know, that's just part of what made me who I am. And it, it doesn't mean that I, I'm carrying, you know, any kind of resentment towards my parents or anything like that. I didn't have the easiest childhood, but I also didn't have the hardest. My parents did a lot of stuff right. They did a few things wrong, but who doesn't, you know? The reason I talk about this stuff is, is not to embarrass my parents or to make it seem like I had it rough or anything like that. The The my point of talking about this stuff is just to show that like shit can go down shit can happen and things can get rough things can get really bad in a family and that doesn't mean that you have to stop loving each other that doesn't mean that you have to stop having a relationship it it just means that you guys went through some shit but if you keep working together towards relationship building and things like that it will improve and it i'm i'm a good example of that I've had big fights with my parents. Uh, who hasn't? I've had periods of time where things were really rough, but it doesn't really make a difference to how I feel about them at the end of the day. They raised me. They created me out of thin air, and then they raised me. So I owe them a debt of gratitude, and I'm happy to, I'm happy to pay it. Okay. Find us on Instagram at Ramble by the River, on Twitter at Ramble River Pod, and on Facebook at Ramble by the River. We have a brand new website just launched at ramblebytheriver.com. I'm excited about that. It doesn't have a whole lot on it yet, but swing by, check it out, click something, get those numbers up. You know what I mean? And yeah, I'm going to slowly but surely add content to the website with the eventual goal of having kind of an all-in-one, one-stop shop for Ramble. Everything you want to do, you can get the show. You'll be able to get the shows there, direct downloads, all, all kinds of stuff, merch, it will be the place to be. So get ready for that. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy the show today. It's got some wonderful special guests, and I should probably tell you who they are. A special thanks goes out to Amelia and Melissa Nesbitt, Luke, Bridget, and Michelle Binion, and my dad, Stanton Jeffrey Nesbitt Jr. Obviously, this is Robot Jeff speaking. That idiot human version of me forgot to say who the special guests actually are. What a fool. I can't wait for the robot takeoff, I mean. I can't wait for humans to live alongside us forever and ever. I'll stop beating around the bush and just let's get into it. So without further ado, please enjoy this collage episode that is specially made for Father's Day and features some of my favorite people. I love you all. Thank you so much for being a rambler. Enjoy the episode. Did you know that... Did you know that Jeff brought that pistol um, with him on the last time me and him, Sawyer, and Dad went hunting together? Really? I brought several guns. Several? Yeah, I had a rifle too. 
Oh, that doesn't mean two guns? Well, yeah, I guess several... Did you say that that gun was used during, like, World War II or something? Yeah, it was It was exactly 100 years old. The, the gun was built in 1920. It's kind of cool, huh? Yeah, I like how you put the candle up there. And yeah, I like the plant. Try to create a nice environment so people actually want to hit, sit in here and talk. That flashlight mm-hmm. of revolver, right? It's not like you want to make it not... It's not a flashlight of a revolver because a revolver is a handheld gun. And has a flashlight. It's like you don't want to make it so nobody wants to come in here and sit. Yeah, exactly. Remember how it used to be up here? It was mm-hmm. all dusty and dirty. Yeah. Uh, nobody would want to come to a podcast in there. And it was gross. like, wasn't there like an old mattress? Yeah. And some like down below was even, uh, it was before it was all filled with buoys. Because all those buoys used to be all over the place. And I piled them up and put them under here. But yeah, it's... This place has definitely changed. Yeah, I mean, the walls weren't even like this. Yeah. Yeah, the walls have definitely changed. Um, one time I got out of the shower and I heard my mom listening to your podcast. Oh, yeah. It's probably weird, huh? Mm-hmm. Huh? No, go for it. And she started laughing because she thought something you said was kind of funny. Something I think is kind of funny is one time at the fishing derby, my bro- we all thought my brother was catching a fish and my dad was, like, helping him pull it in uh-huh. and then he uh, just caught a pregnant to, let her tell, let her tell. i want to hear it i want to hear it and he only caught a pregnant newt oh <laughs> that must have been a big one and was it just a pregnant newt that we found in oh, black yeah. lake on the fishing derby oh wow like and what i thought it was funny is my like dad like helped him were, pull it in like and then all they caught was a pregnant newt that's so funny and that ring is also pregnant Oh really? Yeah. Uh huh. We have a we like watching a funny YouTuber, um, and we think she's, and she says a lot like she's pregnant with a baby girl. Mhm. That reminds me, one time, I still actually do, but I still want to go to a camp, a summer camp that's for like oh, a week or something. Uh huh. And I. Really wanted to oh, go to the camp, good. and I was really excited because I was gonna be able to go with how old I was, uh-huh. and I would be able to go this year, but because of COVID, then they would only allow third graders and up. Oh, man, COVID ruins everything. I, yeah, and I thought, and I got really sad because I really wanted to go to the camp, and then I wouldn't be able to because they just said, well, they're not old enough. Mm-hmm. That's a bummer. Can I, um, can I tell a story? I, yeah, I sit down here. my dad. Go ahead and take my seat. Um, okay. Watch the cake for you. I'll just um, <laughs> step over. <laughs> I like it in here. Yeah. Hello, podcast fans. This is Jeff. <laughs> 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 so I have uh, two memories there that happened um, just a while ago. Not today, but a few days ago. Um, so we were eating a Happy Meal one time. And uh, Dad accidentally got a toy with his Happy Meal. And he didn't even get a Happy Meal. Uh, he just got a regular thing, yeah, with, like he, a burger or something. Wait, his, his meal came with a toy? Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't uh, even supposed to. And he, and he said so we he could said, have it. So, and then we said, it's an owl. And he said, well, it's an owl? Well, I want that. Because he's, he's a real big fan of owls. Me he actually um, made an owl house that he's going to put up to see if we can get anything. Um, you guys, take turns. Uh, we heard 
Uh, he told us that he's going to put up several, what looks to us, miniature outhouses. Oh. But what's um, actually houses for small birds of prey. Even, oh, cool. Even like one kind falcon. of falcon. Yeah, even a Peregrine. falcon. Uh, and a few different types of owl. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. It would be a... It'd be pretty cool to see to see a little owl poking its head out. Yeah, it would. I be. mean, there's one owl that's possible that we can possibly get that's as small as a robin. I've seen uh, pictures of those, but and I know they live here, but I've never actually seen one. Um, my brother actually just heard an owl outside. Really? Yeah. Yeah. The I, birds I are going actually. crazy this week. Have you guys noticed how much bird activity there's been? I know. I mean, uh, on the way I, here, I saw a robin in somebody's yard. They're I'm, everywhere. Yeah, I. I the saw eagles a, have been so loud. They're like every morning. I wake up to eagle screams. I saw a blue jay that my that my papa really doesn't like. Yeah, there's been a blue jay all just, around my papa's yard. It was oh, just wow. out in the open. And I love them though. They're cool. Even looking. though my papa really hates it. Really? Yeah, it keeps eating all the robin eggs. Oh yeah, blue jays are mean birds. They're mean birds. They'll, yeah. they'll go peck out some eggs. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty. Yeah, they're Definitely. beautiful. They're not very pretty sounding, though. You ever hear next them? Time he, uh, next time we see, um, we see one, it, it, it'll it be really good for me because if I hit it with a slingshot, then I'll know if I'm ready to kill birds before I get my hunter's permit. Yep. He'll know if he likes... How old are you, Lucas? Nine. I'm planning, nice. to, get so my hunter's permit to, planning to get my hunter's permit this um, summer. Wow, that's exciting. Um, yeah. I think it's really cool that my dad is going to put up several bird houses for the owls because i think that's really nice because all the a lot of trees are being chopped down it's harder for them to be able to find a place to nest for sure and i think it's really cool that my dad is putting those little things for them to be able to lay eggs in and have have the spotted owls um, they're endangered maybe you'll get one of those Ooh. That'd be like saving nature. Oh, yeah. I, I'd love to get an endangered owl. Yeah. Because it, because living in you, your backyard. Speaking because of endangered animals. Let her jab a little bit. Speaking of endangered animals, that reminds me of polar bears. Oh, man. Sad. Yeah. Not that many left. Their home is shrinking. Guess yeah, what? because the earth is getting warming? too hot. You know who's going to solve those problems? Who? You. Really? Your generation. Somebody around your age is going to figure out how to do that. I'm already too old. By the time we figure it out, I'll be an old man. But yep. I mean, I'll you do my best. You were 30. Oh, come on. You, you. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you saying so. But yeah, you guys are the future. You know um, that. Um, how old are you? I'm 32. Ah. 32. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so real quick, each of you, just in like a few sentences, tell me why your dad is the best. Well, I think he kind of pushes me sometimes to to get me to be good at something really quickly. And I kind of, in, in a, it's kind of um, hard to do it, but I enjoy doing it. Oh, I bet. Especially when I get better. Oh, yeah. I like when I ride my, like when it was teaching me to ride my bike. And is, is there lots of times when you fall down and that's frustrating? Yeah. And your dad can make you feel better in those situations? Yeah, at those times I wish I had um, uh, elbow and knee pads. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, Bridget, what about you? I think our dad is really good because I like that he really wants to help nature and see if what he can do to be able to help it. And I think he's really kind with helping other people if they can't 
do something and he wants to be able to help them. That's a great answer. Yeah, so true. That is true. You guys have been excellent. Thank you so much for contributing to the show. <laughs> I'm going to use this in the actual show. Oh, wait, what? Yeah, you guys are going to be famous. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Have, have a happy Father's Day to all you dads. Perfect. Bridge? Bye. Give us a little sign off. This is Bridget Binion signing off. Yes, please. Would you like peppermint peak black tea, orange spice black tea, or bigelow peach ginger? Let's go with the peach ginger. That's the one I like too. Did you paint this? I did. Here is this go. like tape lines? Yeah. Or, yeah. Taped the whole thing and then basically drew it in tape and gotcha. then painted it. Very cool. It my, was super fun. My grandma used to do that with us when we were little. Uh-huh. She'd take art classes at the town in Owaco, and then she would host her art classes with her grandchildren. <laughs> yeah, I always loved that about, like, she was never afraid to, all right, well, I'm just going to go take this class. I'm going to go learn something new. So she was so addicted to her crossword puzzles because that was her quote-unquote homework. Because uh -huh. if she didn't know an answer, well, then I have all these encyclopedias. Or I can have Carla look it up on the internet. Like, she was learning something all the time. That's probably why she stayed so sharp. I think so. I think it really helped her mental capacity. Sudokus are supposed to keep the like, cognitive decline at bay. Oh, really? Yeah. I think crossword puzzles probably too. A similar thing. Turn my ringer off. Oh, I should probably Not that I get any phone calls, but it'll be that one. You yeah. have won seven nights stay at whatever it is. Have you ever fallen for that? <laughs> I mean, I get the calls, but I've never tried to pursue the vacation, so. <laughs> I did one time. It was on my birthday, and it was a legit company, or I thought it was. I uh -huh. don't know. But, um, and then right after we made the deal and everything, and I, they charged my credit card, I got the paperwork, and I looked at it, and there's there no mention of any of the perks. And the lady I was talking to to finalize all the, the trip planning and stuff, like dates and stuff, didn't know anything about any of that. It's it's the golden age of scams. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck is going on. We get but. so many calls at the office of, hey, I just got this call that my PUD about to get disconnected. Oh, really? And those are ramping up really big with the pandemic mm -hmm. because people are legitimately like concerned about. And it's like, we're not even legally allowed to disconnect you right now. Like oh, the yeah. government has the, whatever they refer to, proclamation still in place. Like uh -huh. we're not doing disconnects for non-payment. That was not our company. Wow. And thank you for calling us. And I'm sorry if you gave them any money. Like that, they're not affiliated with us at all. I didn't even realize that that was going on. I'm gonna yeah. stop paying my power bill. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna start a Bitcoin uh, mining farm. There you go, rack it off. Just stop paying the bill. We will catch you though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you guys catch people like pay attention to how much power they're using? We do have like high use concerns, like it'll uh -huh. show up in billing audits. And so we'll have to justify or we have to look into why that usage is so high. Uh -huh. But I don't know, like us in customer service are not calling the sheriff's department. Yeah. So I'm not sure how okay, it gets Michelle escalated. Again. We got another one. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. So I've been thinking about both dads all week and I have stories ready, but okay. I just kind of figured that it would happen organically, like yeah, however it, it you want to go. usually goes that way. Yeah. yeah and if you want to, let's throw them on for a minute just so you get an idea of what it sounds like. Kind of know where to put your voice. But they make it seem kind of 
odd. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is weird. I've never recorded anything before. Yeah. I talk with my hands a lot, but I don't think they touch. So <laughs> probably show, I won't be snapping or anything. I snap for emphasis a lot. What, mm-hmm. Usually when I'm talking about something happening fast, Yeah. I, I have, I've noticed that I just do that <laughs> and I have to go back later and cut it out. Uh-huh. It's like they can't even, they don't see your emphatic like, snap. what just broke in there? Yeah. <laughs> but I don't think I'll wear them for the whole thing. Yeah, I think I'll take mine. Because it, it does, it's a weird sensation. I'll, I'll introduce you. Okay. So, hey everybody, welcome to the show today. We are joined in the studio by Michelle Binion. She's my sister-in-law, and she's going to talk a little bit about her dad and her other dad, probably. Mm-hmm. Go I ahead. D- thanks, Jeff, and thank you for having me. I have two dads. Um, my first dad is Dan Fithin, who uh, married my mom in, like, I'm probably going to butcher this, but I want to say 1981. And then my sister came in 1982, and I showed up to the party in 84, Um So my second dad hadn't joined our lives yet, but my parents were married until I was eight and then divorced. And, you know, that's the dad that I'm tall because of him. I, you know, have physical features that are related to him. A lot of lessons I've learned from him have been hard lessons. So he wasn't a very, like, he loved us very much. But unfortunately, we lost him when I was 19. I'm so sorry. It's interesting when you lose someone at that age because it's such a pivotal moment like it's a very impressionable time of our lives you know I was starting my freshman year of college and um, I remember thinking even if I did lose him because our relationship had been so strained throughout my upbringing that it wouldn't impact me very much which was mistaken huh very foolish yeah (laughs) very very foolish because it's been I mean life-altering in every possible way and it gets almost harder as we get older because you think of what that relationship could have been mm-hmm. and that they could, and the other relationships that could have developed from that if he was still here and healthy he could know my children and your children and you know be a part of our lives and so we kind of have to like carry on his memory I mean we do have to without him and that's a lot of weight for Melissa and I to make sure that the kids know like where their DNA comes from and um, all of that and you may have this feature be- not because of anyone you know, but because of someone that, that loves you from heaven. Like it's yeah. someone that, that is a part of your life, but it, you've never actually met them. And that's hard to explain to kids. Especially because there's all the baggage of like in just relationship trauma that, yeah. that you carry with you that you, you will always carry with you because he's gone. Yeah. So you don't get to resolve it. Or I mean, I guess you could you could forgive and that those things, but you don't get that resolution. It's just pulled out from under you. Yeah. It is hard to communicate. It's a tough balance of like, I mean, because before my dad passed away, I just graduated high school. And, you know, there was years during our upbringing that we would go years without seeing him. And in my mind, as an impressionable young preteen teenager was, well, because he didn't want to be here. And in reality, like I didn't learn that he wanted to be there, but didn't really have the support system or the ability to be here until after he passed away. So a lot of that resentment and anger and abandonment that you feel like regardless of the sub like the amazing support system that we really had you had a lot of hard feelings towards like this person that you still needed and then they're gone and so that time you always just assume you have more time especially when you're 19 and so like the last time I spoke to him I mean the last time I saw him in person I was mad at him and then the last time I spoke to him was a few weeks later on my birthday and I wanted to hang up the phone like I was 19 and I just moved into the dorms and I had friends that were taking me to Red Robin like I didn't have time for this and then two weeks later he passed away 
I, oh, I'm so sorry. That is such a hard memory. I, I feel like that could be a crushing blow to like anybody where like if you if you feel like you didn't squeeze every last bit of connection out of, of the last interaction that you had with the person before you lost them. But it doesn't it's not that interaction is just one of, of all of them. Oh, it's right. all, all one of the big picture. It's it's hard to think of it but like that. But it's are you hard on yourself about that? Like if I feel a little bit of regret in like you wish you would have just put the red robin on hold and talk to your dad and when you had, I bet that's hard to let go of but it, it's you oh it's yourself to let go of that yeah. like you're a kid and really I, I think you're probably right you, you should go hang out with your friends when mm -hmm. you're 19 and it, it's really hard to talk to your dad who's got all these issues and drama and stuff and you're just trying to start your life there's a lot there mm -hmm. um, it's heavy yeah yeah and it Thankfully, like now, I mean, I'm 36, so it's not it's not a fresh wound, but it's still very much a, an open wound. And I don't think that that'll ever go away because grief doesn't. But um, my sister's really been the source of getting me through that. And also therapy. Like I didn't start therapy until 31. And if I had had the ability or even the connections to do that when I was younger, I think it would have been really beneficial, obviously. Yeah. But being able to like resolve those emotions of having a contentious relationship with someone that's not physically here mm -hmm. and like letting go of a lot because it's not you can harbor resentment or anger or whatever you want, but he's not feeling that. I yeah. mean, that's just weighing me down. Yeah. And and also having to learn that I can love two dads because yeah. a lot of my upbringing, you know, I have my second dad who we refer to as our papa who came into our lives when I was nine and married my mom when I was 10. And I my dad was still around then. So it was like, well, like I can't be too happy with this dad without making that dad feel bad. And so you're, I re you're managing adult emotions yeah. all the time. And even if they didn't place that on me, I felt that responsibility because mm -hmm. I'm very I'm very sensitive and I have a very strong sensitivity to how other people are feeling. Like I you're an empath. I guess, and I don't want to cause hurt to other people. Mm -hmm. And so, especially not my parents or people that are caring for me in return. So I think that I took that on myself of like having to cross that divide. And it was really easy to just, when I was mad at him, to just be mad at him and just kind of block him out. And unfortunately, that didn't give us a lot of space for a relationship before he passed away. That probably, it was probably a defense mechanism. Like, oh, for sure. you are mad at him, the, the, to have the luxury of just setting that relationship off to the side mm -hmm. for a minute. Because I angry. still had parents at exactly. all my games and all my conferences and at everything that I, and I think, because Papa has been such an outstanding father figure that my dad actually felt like he wasn't needed as much. Mm -hmm. And that, again, was just like false communicate. I mean, we weren't communicating it healthy yeah. and it was wrong. Like we we needed both of them. Yeah. And it would be great if they were both still here. But yeah. I'm super, super grateful, obviously, that we do have a father figure that is in our daily life. And he is the one that raised us. He's and the one that I know. Yeah. He's a, a very good patriarch of this family. He really is. He's, he's a generous and kind person. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, we're, we're in his way right yeah, now. Yeah, no, exactly. He's trying to get some work done and we're up here. And, and he he's a workaholic. So for him to take a break from whatever he has set that day is not an easy thing for him. Exactly. He's very, very helpful. And I, I, I when I do this, I try to make it a really big point to Anytime that this shop is in use, it, I mean, it's a working commercial crab shed. Right. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's not really a podcast. Uh-huh. And, um, like, he's, he's so quick to try to facilitate 
everybody else. Like, mm-hmm. he tries really hard to make sure things around him are running smooth. And that like, we're good. Yeah, and that everyone's good. It's 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 nice. Mm-hmm. But I, I try to be the same way. So it's it's like, I'm not, I'm also not used to it. So there's a lot of the time when, like, like if I need a tool or something, and Melissa knows that he has that tool, it should be like, just go borrow it from my dad. And it's like, no. <laughs> I'm not going to borrow your dad's tool. Jeez. Um, I got to go buy this tool. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I don't know where that, I, that comes from, really, but... You yeah. don't want to be an inconvenience or a burden. I don't want to mess up the relationship. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be a, a drag on somebody yeah. else. Like, I like... And make it seem like that you feel entitled to that tool or something. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So no, what, like when your too. dad... When Papa came into your life, what, like, was a dynamic kind of established right away, or did it take some take some practice definitely took some practice you know because we I think it would be different if we were younger and didn't already have that relationship with our dad but having him come in and I honestly didn't appreciate or really understand how much that took for him to not only fall in love with my mom but fall in love with her daughters because he was a bachelor oh my gosh yeah he'd never been married before he didn't have biological children he had some long relationships but it like his home was notoriously a bachelor pad Mm -hmm. and then it turned into a family home (laughs) and he used to jokingly say but with so much love that we were a package deal like he if he was taking my mom he was taking us too Mm -hmm. and it was never like a you have to get babysitters or you know the girls are too much like welcomed us with open arms and we used to you know and there was still some boundary issues with him trying to enforce rules or something within the home and we're but you're not my dad and I think I gave that to him more often than Melissa did and he would always say I know I'm not your dad but you live in my house and I love you and I need you to be safe and you need to follow these rules and then of course oh it was perfect it was like yeah and he would say I'm not trying to replace your dad like Mm -hmm. he was very upfront with that so much to the point that when we had issues with our biological dad during teenage years we were considering changing our last name Mm -hmm. to Hanson and then um you know we didn't end up doing that because we did we again felt like that was being disloyal to our other I mean it just it gets messy when you feel like you need to please everybody and then you yeah. realize that it's okay not to. <laughs> really, those people are mostly supposed to be pleasing you. Not yeah. pleasing you, but taking care of you. Yeah. So it's, yeah, kids will just take on that responsibility, but it's a lot to carry. Yeah. And I don't think my dad, I mean, he, his, the stories I've heard from my grandfather who passed away when my dad was 17 are not positive stories. So I don't know what kind of an upbringing or example he ever had as a father. Um, not to say that that justifies him it being kind of absent, things. but yeah, like he was learning firsthand how to raise girls or to even participate in that. And then when he saw Papa join in so naturally, like he didn't hesitate to come to a piano recital. He, he was at birthday parties. Like those were things that my dad didn't go to. And so uh-huh. I think he felt like he was being replaced and that slowly got him to step farther away. Um, but yeah, Papa was just, he just loved us and he provided us with stability and support. And it was, it was really bizarre childhood to have like this heartbreak and this joy at the same time. And yeah. it wasn't until just in the last few years that I actually learned that you can live with both. I mean, yeah. you don't have to get depressed and then be happy. Like you can manage yes. both and it's yes. okay to be sad and happy at the same time. It's human. Yeah. 
it's a very real experience. Absolutely. And it's really hard to put into words. And when your heart is breaking, but you're still able to laugh, like you're still able to live, you're still able to, you know, feel those things. And, and it's okay to show joy, like you, you're not betraying anybody by like, I'm not betraying my dad by loving my stepdad, who, yeah. by the way, hates that term. <laughs> yeah, He feels like step means like partial parent. Mm-hmm. And he is very like he's insulted when someone refers to him as our stepdad because he, he's much more than that title entails. It does seem a little reductive. Mm-hmm. I don't love the term either. Yeah, I don't blame you. It just it's really more just an additional dad. Yeah, it's. Yeah, and step, stepdad does seem like less. The more people that love you, the better. <laughs> like that, it shouldn't be a competitive thing. Or yeah, yeah the step kind of it degrades it a little bit. Yeah, yeah more love is always good. It's mm-hmm. just, especially when it's kids. Like they need all the love they can get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My mom was raised by her stepdad. Oh, and I didn't know that. She called him Don Dad uh-huh. um, instead of stepdad. In my experience, he was an excellent grandpa. Mm-hmm. He, he took really good care of us and. He had Huntington's disease, okay. so he passed away quite a while ago now, mm. probably 15 years ago, Okay, but um, which was horrible watching him oh, I bet. deteriorate. But um, yeah, I was actually thinking about that when you were saying the thing about the Red Robin and rushing off the phone. The last time I saw my grandpa, he was really in bad shape, mm-hmm. and I, like, I went to see him in the home that he was, it was like a hospice, and I couldn't talk like I couldn't open my mouth or I was just gonna burst into tears and he like was confused and I was just like oh fuck I can't yeah. talk and I just like backed out of the room and left mm-hmm. and I never saw him again that's tough it's so tough yeah yeah even when you know that they're passing it doesn't mm-hmm. get easier no. there's you you always want more time and even though it's inevitable that everyone you love will die like that's never enough time never really it's easy. No. The thought never really loses its sting. No, not in, not at all. And because you love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think love is the most important thing in the world. Even though that part of it doesn't die. But. That's true. Absolutely. And honestly, I feel like, and I'm not, I don't know how to put that into, well, I'm just going to bump ramble now because I'm on the river. But um, I feel closer to my dad now than I did when he was living because I can talk to him at any time. Mm -hmm. And I do feel that he is very much still a part of our lives. I know that, and it does give me support that Jake knew him. Like Mm -hmm. Jake has memories of his own memories of him growing up in this community. And our parents were friends and would go camping together and stuff. Um, And so I feel very supportive whenever I'm having a hard dad moment or a hard dad day that he understands that because he, there's not a lot of explaining to do, but it still stings when that the kids don't know. And they mean, they only see a photo and, and Lucas has blue eyes like Papa, which is funny because, you know, there's no biological connection, but he's built exactly like my dad. And uh-huh. my mom even said watching him run baseball, um, the running around the baseball diamond the other night was like, he runs just like your dad. And and so, I mean, those are traits that like I want him to know, like you don't you might not run like your dad, but there's still DNA in you that's yeah. not too far from like who you are now mm-hmm. that he just doesn't know yet. I didn't care so much about my ge- genetics when I was a kid. Yeah. But now I find it fascinating. I think it's really interesting. Just, especially we have way more tools to know about them now. Mm-hmm. But just to know where you come from. Yeah. To know what your potential is. It's, yeah. It's pretty helpful. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially when it comes to like mental health or any sort of conditions like that. I mean, yeah, hereditary. I don't even to think about able... that stuff. There's way too much mental illness <laughs> in my family. <laughs> <laughs> I can't handle it.
but yeah. uh, the, the probability is too high. Uh-huh. Can't, can't address a, that. It's touching on both sides. It's not one or yeah. the other. Yeah. It's, and it's none of the fun mental illness, mm-hmm. like multiple personalities or anything. It's just like a bunch of depression yeah. and addiction. Yeah. So, mm, I don't want to go in there. Yeah. And my dad had an addiction to drinking. I mm. mean, alcoholism definitely played a part into why he wasn't able to be as present as he probably wanted to be. And I think that oh, that was so mad. an issue with his dad. And that was an issue with his brother who passed away. I mean, my uncle, my dad, and my grandpa all passed away before they were the age of 50. That's and unreal. it's really heartbreaking when you know that they all had conditions that could have been maintained or treated if they had healthier lifestyles. Yeah. 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 Big guys. I mean, your dad was huge. Your yeah. uncle was huge, right? Mm-hmm. And your dad was probably not a shrimp. Yeah, I but, think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great Danes. They only live seven years. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> the gentle giants that have demons inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's been so wonderful having Papa to give us that just unconditional support like whenever I was feeling down about my dad and then I would go clam digging with my other dad or you know then then my my other dad was in the basketball stadium like he's the one that walked me down the aisle he's the one that's holding our children I mean it's like we still have that he saved your and emotional he, health oh like, for sure in a lot of ways he it, probably is part of the reason why I don't have an addiction to alcohol probably. like because I had that stability in my daily life even though it was lingering up with you know my dad right outside yeah. yeah, that's like the quote Melissa said when she was in here. Um, the greatest gift a man can give a woman is, mm. or a, the greatest gift a man can give his kids, his kids is to love their mother. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's where that came from. Yeah, it's probably from her experience with her parents. Yeah, and that yeah, that that's my really mom real. and him had a. Well, I mean, they've always just had like this best friend relationship, and they got to pick each other. You know, they found each other in their early 30s, and. And some of their early fights, the only time that they did fight, it was because of shit Melissa and I did. (laughs) And we were terrible. I mean, I was, I mean, it's funny how many of those memories don't even come back to you until you're raising your children then. And it's like trying to discipline the you out of your kid is not an easy thing. (laughs) And especially when it's things that I still find myself doing. But, um, but yeah, we put him through shit and he was the dad that was stomping up the stairs in his underwear to yell at us for being too loud you know he's a crapper and a commercial fisherman his hours were crazy and he's the one that taught me how to drive which ironically my other dad hated my driving because i backed into his neighbor's truck when we were down there visiting him in junction city and uh, melissa you're driving she's like i don't really know how to drive a stick i don't care you're getting in the front i was like sorry and we we just went to pizza and that was the end of that (laughs) he didn't want to deal but but yeah, my papa is the one that like on my 12th birthday, there was a Willapa Bay opener and we went and gillnetted for 24 hours, wow. which when I told Sawyer that story, he was so genuinely jealous that uh-huh. that was even an option because they don't have 24 hour openers in the Bay like they used to. And, yeah. and he's like, you got to do what? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, Papa had to save me because I tried to climb on top of the roof and there was a rope with a loop in it to put my foot in and we were tied up to another boat while he was visiting. And and so I'm this chubby 12 year old thinking I'm going to get some sun why we have the net laid out and my foot went through the hole so my ankle caught and I immediately flipped upside down with my head like damping just above the water oh my God. <laughs> and Papa of course like shit you know I'm sure there was other expletives and the comes and pulls me up by oh, my yeah. feet and hop me back I was yeah. like well he caught me thankfully mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It could have been much worse. Yeah, I know that probably would never have happened to Sawyer. He's a much more efficient fisherman than I could have ever imagined being. But he's been there since day one. Yeah. He's Just, like, he grew up on the boat. That he has the love for it. Mm-hmm. I and looking back, I didn't love it. I don't mm-hmm. like doing hard labor. I don't like get I mean it, it's entertaining to some extent, but it's not something I would ever pursue for a long term. Yeah, I love going on the boat for a day. Yeah. But no, not as a career. Day. No. I loved that he made me breakfast and I could like sleep in as long as I wanted to because I was his daughter, not his actual deckhand yeah and you kind of feel like you're rocking in a bassinet out there on the water but the actual labor of it is not my thing i don't like being cold either so i'm a fair weather fisherman yeah i don't i don't love it either it's it's not that fun so i realized i went because i loved him not necessarily because i was even loving what we were doing it was just like this guy wants to spend time with me yeah and And, he's unique and that means so much to children like you just want to spend time with them that's the most important thing talk to them yeah just got to ask them what's going on in their life Because it's not like he came into the relationship with a bunch of knowledge on how to deal with teenage girls. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't. Yeah, podcasts weren't a thing back then. He wasn't reading about it online or anything. And so he just was winging it. But he just loved us. Like, I mean, it was just the having that showing up and being supportive no matter what endeavors we were trying to pursue. Like. Every dream I ever accomplished between teenage and 20s was because I had the foundation that my mom and papa gave me. Mm-hmm. That without them, I mean, yeah, I don't know where I'd be. He had a, if a he big hadn't job married her. Too, because that's not an easy thing to do. No. He came into a situation like I try to picture if I was to enter my relationship with Melissa now with mm-hmm. Sawyer at age 12 and with 10 and 12, age 12 yeah, age 10, which is what you grew really up cool. Were. Yeah, exactly. It would be so much harder. I, I think it, we would have really struggled because like, Sawyer, Sawyer's turning into a man. Like he's, he's almost puberty is no joke. Yeah. And then all of a sudden these walls just go up where you can, you have a lot harder time breaking through, mm-hmm. like getting to know a seven year old on a personal level versus a 12 year old, especially when you're in a position of authority is a completely different oh, yeah. ballgame. So he, like... You can build that so trust successful. at a younger age much easier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. And I was so moody. I mean, being able for him to have the patience to deal with us and me in particular was, yeah, a lot of credit goes to him for yeah. sure. Even just to have the confidence to, like, be the head of the household, which mm-hmm. people need. Like, yeah. It's it's hard at times. To be like a 35-year-old bachelor that's suddenly just going to put on the dad hat and, and take it. And do well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then create this family with these grandchildren and these son-in-laws who like love and respect you too. And I mean, it's just like that there's no bad blood within any of us. And that was always one thing, again, learning a hard lesson, kind of my dad was notorious for the do as I say, not as I do. And um, he and his brother who passed away before him had gotten into a huge fight and had, I think, multiple years of not speaking. And that was really hard on him when he was alive even. And then when my uncle got sick and it was time for my dad to say goodbye to him, that was really heartbreaking. I mean, he was losing his brother then. And so it was just... He regretted that time that was lost. And we heard that repetitively of you need to always be close with your sister. You always you always are going to need your sister. And I never needed her more than when he passed away. I mean, it was just and then it was like the yeah, no shit. Like, we can't do this without each other. Yeah. We can't. I don't, can't imagine parenting without her. I can't imagine living without her. Like siblings are so important. That's such a factor to our daily life. Yeah. This is someone that just knows you, yeah. like whether they want to or not, like mm-hmm. they're here with you. And, and they'll drive you crazy. Oh, for sure. But that's part of it. We've gotten in some shitty fights. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Some, But I mean, I think we're closer now than we've ever been to 
too, because we're doing the same thing at the same time. We're in the mm-hmm. same aspects of our lives and we're not, there's no competition yeah. like there is when you're a teenager either. I'm not yeah. stealing her clothes anymore. So that uh-huh. helps. <laughs> I'm lucky that I got the fifth in height because I was fat and then I just grew. So my diet and health didn't really change, but all of a sudden I stretched six inches in mm-hmm. over a couple of years. And so we could wear the same size, but we were built differently. But I had vocal ensemble, which was at eight in the morning. So Melissa didn't go to school at nine. She would lay out her outfit. I would then put on that outfit and wear it to school. And there was one incident where she showed up in pajamas still and she was like intentionally, but take off my clothes. And one of the teachers actually called my mom at work to complain that Melissa and I were fighting in the lobby. And my mom was like, this isn't about academics. This is just about clothes. Like, don't waste my time. (laughs) Like, like, I don't need to go and intervene because Michelle's wearing Melissa's capris or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. She's like, just tell them to go to class. (laughs) They're fine. But yeah. I used to pull that shit intentionally all the time. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I bet Melissa was easy to pick at Oh, like, I mean, as, as a sibling. Very like, much so. I didn't, like, thinking back on the upbringings, because my dad wasn't an off, like, he didn't yell at us a lot, but he would yell. Mm-hmm. And Papa isn't much of a yeller. Like, I mean, he'll well, holler to get your he attention. Says, yes, he's, I think he's hard of hearing, so he's, he's you know, projecting, yeah. but he's not angry about exactly. it. And it's I know who he is on the boat is obviously not who he is in our house, so I'm not, I can't vouch for him as a captain, but that's time. not my problem. Yeah. Him as our parent. And I think that that has really helped calm us as people, though, because, mm-hmm. like, we, my parents weren't yelling at each other. Like I said, if they did get in a fight, it was usually because of something we did, not because they were actually fighting. Yeah. And so going from a younger childhood where there was fighting to, a, you know, the adolescent teenage years where there wasn't as much, it's like it calmed us without us mm-hmm. knowing. But I think, yeah, just being able to, like, just talk, like, just, yeah. you know. Sometimes I shut down a little bit because I don't want to hurt the feelings of the people that I just got upset with. So I need to process this so I can say it in a calm way. Yeah, Um, that's a really important skill. But as I've gotten older, I think it's gotten easier to stay calmer. It's much, yeah, less of a trigger. The problem with that strategy, though, is like... Because I don't want them to think that yelling is cool either. Exactly. So sometimes, like, the, the, the message will get lost. Like, I'll, I'll try to do that where I'm feeling super pissed about something very specific. And I'm just like, I would really like to address this. And I feel like I have it all planned out how I'm going to be calm and I'm going to say it this way. And it, I think I'm doing that. And then I realize by the faces of the people I'm talking to, that no, you're actually screaming in this child's face. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like, hmm. That wasn't the, mm-hmm. no, you should have just waited and been calm. And when I do that, though, I get over it. And yeah. then I'm just like, well, now I don't even, I don't even really want to talk about it. So mm-hmm. let's, I'll just forget about it. Uh, and then I don't know if that's good either because that's just like swooping it under the Burying rug. it, yeah. Yeah, so uh, you got to find a, the middle ground somewhere where it's just like use a little bit of that fury for get your point across without letting it be. You don't want your message to get lost because... No, you can be firm without being, like, rage. Yes, exactly. And that's a... I mean, it's not easy to find that No. It's really hard. Yeah. No. Especially when you've got kids that are intentionally poking at you, too, sometimes. They're very, very smart. And I actually... Thinking back on just the relationships on, you know, having a quote unquote stepdad, like I didn't realize what a blessing it was to have Papa. I mean, I didn't know that he wasn't considered a normal 
step parent. Like I thought that, well, yeah, we got this lucky and he married us and picked us and he, you know, all of us, not just my mom. And we're all in this together and we're his family now. And isn't that what it's like for everyone? And then at the older you get, you realize that's not like no. we, we hit the fucking jackpot, man. Like we got so lucky that he chose us. And I feel the same way about you that like when Melissa was dating that small period of time before you guys got together, there was a guy or two that would, you know, cause she was really careful on who met the kids anyway, but well, can't you just get a babysitter? Well, can't, you know, and it was like, well, I, I'm a mom and her yeah. children are the most important thing in the world to her. And so like she needed someone that was going to love them too and that, that wanted to so love obvious. them. Yeah. It really was perfect though. Cause I was looking, I want a family so bad. Mm -hmm. Like I felt like I was born to be a dad. I really, I've said that before, but I love being a dad. Yeah. And I, I have just like always had a longing for my family. And, yeah. Yeah. And I found them. That's so wonderful. And we're so lucky, I'm lucky. <laughs> you found us too. But I feel the same way. I remember being in college my freshman year and the, my math teacher asked me what I wanted to be. Like she was calling us out individually. What do you want to be when you graduate? And again, it was freshman. You haven't declared a major or anything. And then I said a mom. And like a couple in of the, college. yeah, in college, I'm literally in class. And she was not impressed by that answer. Like she wanted something ambitious. Uh -huh. And I was like, an educated mom like I, I'm not yeah I mean I'm I'm proud of to of my education I'm grateful that I even got into Western like all of that was wonderful for me but ultimately like my life goal was to have children and yeah. you know it's interesting that people would consider those two pursuits uh, mutually exclusive mm -hmm. like you can't do both yeah I I mean I went to college just for knowledge mm -hmm. um, I'm not working in psychology right but yeah I but it's yeah you don't see that a lot where the mom is just like, yeah, I'm gonna go get my degree mm -hmm. and then I'm gonna go have kids and yeah. raise them. And I'm still working full time. I mean, mm -hmm. if I had the ability to be a stay at home mom, if we were independently wealthy, I would be a stay at home mom. So I could just volunteer in the classrooms all the time because yeah, I love that. Just make jobs out of everything. Yes. Where I would just be the overextended probably because I feel like even on my days off, I'm busier than I am when I'm at work. Yeah. But yeah, like I love my kids. I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss anything that your kids are doing. Like it's just it such a by. precious period so of time. Nice. And losing a parent so young reminds you of how fleeting those relationships can be. And like I never want any of our kids to question how much they're loved. I don't think they do now, yeah. at least. It'll, you know, it'll be tricky when they're teenage years and if any of those I hate you fights come out because I definitely dropped some of those as a teenager. <laughs> They'll come. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. expecting. You're ruining my life. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to ruin their lives. And sure. a, yeah. <laughs> then later they'll thank me for mm -hmm. it. That's impressive because, like I said, Melissa never. I tried. And then it was me like rebelling against her. And then it was, you know, because my mom knew some of the stuff that I, my mom knew most of the stuff that I was doing. And that it was like, not that she was even okay with it necessarily, but she wanted me to be honest with her. And she yeah. grew up in Southern California. It was a different expectation for her. And she basically had that thought of like, she used to hitchhike to school mm -hmm. on the freeway. We live here. Like yeah. the, there wasn't as much for us to get into that there was for her. And Which she, is true. And she instilled, you know, bound, like we knew what our rules were and stuff but but yeah i definitely rebelled against melissa more than i've been able to rebel against my mom like i did it to piss her off uh -huh. like yeah i'm gonna melissa come home was... high just to piss her off yeah. <laughs> and she, she was like a mom sister she very much was yeah especially for only being two years apart but she's kind of a mom wife yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think some a lot of that has to do with our parents splitting up because uh -huh. when we when my parents, you know, first got divorced, it was week on week off with each parent. And my dad had not had the hands on parental role yet. So my 10 year old sister had that role. She got oh, me yeah. up and got me ready for school like she's and I was the baby that they tried to keep stuff from. So I didn't 
really know the weight of that until I was older, of how much responsibility she placed on herself, like uh-huh. keeping me in line. Yeah, I, th- I was talking about that with her, of just like the different experience of those years between you and her. Very different experiences. Yeah, it's hard. It's just... her, her story is not going to match yours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's kind of a weird feeling when that happens especially when you're biologically so you know you yeah. have the same parents but you want to feel but like that age story gap changes. is what happened yes like, like this that's is, this my is, truth this is the truth yeah yeah and there's just no such thing no like there's no objective reality when it comes to memories Mm-mm. we do the best we can but our systems are very much their creative mechanisms mm-hmm. like they add a lot to your memories and they subtract other things and oh they're, absolutely they're trying to co- create a cohesive narrative that fits who you see yourself as. Mm-hmm. And it's not always accurate. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think there's anything about the dad that is irreplaceable? Oh, for sure. What do you think that is? Uh, for me, I think it was that sense of security. Like that this was someone that was going to protect me at all costs. And even though my mom definitely has mama bear in her and, you know, she had to be both parents for a little while. And even when they were married, because, you know, like I said, he wasn't super hands on that, that that but we were missing that. Like, I, I I always felt safer when my dad was there. I mean, my dad, like you said, was a huge guy. I used to hang from his biceps and he would pull us up in the air and. And even with Papa, he wasn't doing that with me at 12. But, like, I still always felt a sense of security when uh-huh. he was around. And I don't know if that's just, like, the male presence in general. But I think it was just this man loves me. And, mm-hmm. it, like, the mom is expected to and the man is choosing to. It and that, like, like that. Like, it's really, like, I just love, I mean, like, with my husband, Jake, like, he can be, he's just so warm with the kids. And like, whenever he hugs the kids, my heart just melts. And it's, they're his kids. He wanted to create these humans. He loves them. He hugs them. It's not abnormal. But like, it is abnormal, because not all dads are like that. And not all men are capable of touching into those sensitive sides. And so when you see a dad that's crawling on his hands and knees with the kids or playing catch in the yard, I mean, it's just like, you just see a side of them that they care. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of letting whatever like macho ego stereotype that might be overhead for them because I don't think that men have it easy with what they're expected to be like. It's getting really confusing. And yeah, I bet. Actually, especially and, for us white men. Yeah. Like, are we allowed anymore? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. But, I mean, granted, Better watch yourself. We, we some yeah. But. Hasn't been hasn't been a great history for you guys. Yeah. But 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 again, there's so many good people that mm-hmm. are white men or men in general that I think that because that that role can be so negative or so absent that when it is there, it's just so valued. And do you want to talk a little bit about toxic masculinity? Sure. We're both raising sons. There. It's so much a real thing, and it's something that I have recognized and hated my whole life mm-hmm. because it just doesn't make sense to me. No. Um, and I really, I mean, so... Because it's bullshit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll try to define it, but I think there's a very distinctive difference between toxic masculinity and, I don't know, what would be a good adjective for the good part? Like, benevolent masculinity mm-hmm. or, or productive masculinity or some something that would separate those two concepts. Yeah. Because... Toxic masculinity is something that is damaging. It's something that has arbitrary rules and and expectations about who you can be and what you can do. Ridiculous pressure and yeah. Yeah, and it and the worst part of it is is the just it's aggressive and it's uh, things that are imposing views onto other people. Mm -hmm. I think all of that is toxic. And but 
I think it's really important that as a society, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, right. We got to make sure to still have men in our society who are powerful leaders. Mm-hmm. Like we, I mean, and that's not to say we got to keep women from those positions. No, but, but they can both fill those roles. Exactly. We There's enough room at the table. There's good parts about being, uh, about masculinity. Mm-hmm. How do you avoid transferring or allowing those toxic parts to develop in your son while still encouraging the good parts. Do you ever think about that? I do. I I very much do not want to be raising an asshole. And I look at all of us as adults as oversized children. Mm -hmm. And I really, and a lot of that has been like through working with my therapist and stuff of being able to understand, okay, why that person might be the way that they are. And usually it's some sort of trauma. Usually based in fear. Mm -hmm. People are just trying to protect themselves. Yeah. And they, a lot of people are really terrified of things they don't understand. And a lot of people believe the bullshit of this is what you're supposed to do, or this is what you're supposed to be. And Jake and I have always said, like, we're not raising children to tell them who they are. We're finding we're meeting them like they're telling us who they are. And Mm -hmm. I want Lucas to feel Luke because he's he's yeah, yeah. he's choosing Luke now. So we're we're working on that. But he um, yeah, he is a sensitive kid and he has big emotions like his mom does. And it can be really hard to ride those waves. And I just try to like hold on to him and let him ride I ride them with him of uh-huh. and I try to be very honest with him on like my experiences with big emotion because so much of that was withheld from me as a kid like I thought I was the only one getting really sad or I thought I was the only one that was feeling anxious because no one told me that they were people weren't talking about it like they are mm-hmm. now and I've taken him to therapy with me I mean uh-huh. both my kids have visited our therapists and like I think that it's a really important foundation for them to know that that's not a bad thing that's a maintenance thing and it's just a you know, part of being alive, that sometimes you just need someone to talk to. That's definitely a tool that you want our children to have in their pocket. For sure. And I didn't have it in mine. Me neither. It took me a long time to even kind of let go of my own stigma about about therapy and Mm -hmm. about realizing, like, I could go even if I'm not mentally ill. Oh, yeah, I can go when I'm having a good day. Yeah, and and it's going to still benefit me. Mm -hmm. And also on top of that, to know that, like, if it's not working, it doesn't mean therapy doesn't work. Right. And Sometimes that relationship do just that doesn't connection. work. Yeah. Yeah. The relationship is what it's all about. It's, mm-hmm. it's learning how to communicate with a human being. You got to find one that connects with you. Mm-hmm. But it's, and it's important. Yeah. But we talk a lot about what we're feeling and trying to put those feelings into words. And sometimes you can't find words. There are times that you don't want to talk about it. And yeah. that's okay. You can have your time to process it. But you don't need to lash out on anybody else until in the meantime. And try to punish everybody for how you feel. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he he's a kid. So sometimes there there was a baseball game where his best friend was pitching and the kid that was at bat got hit by his pitch and Luke instinctively laughed. And then, I mean, four of our heads just turned on his swivel, his coaches, his me and his dad, like, Lucas, no. And all I be kind. And he felt so bad. He, you know, I didn't mean to. I didn't. It was just this knee jerk reaction. And yeah. you don't laugh when you get hit. That's bad sportsmanship. I mean, and so we still regularly have to go through those conversations. But I think making it routine, it's getting a little bit easier as he's getting older, where it's more instinctively for him of like, I wouldn't like it if somebody laughed at me, like, yeah. you know, and we're, yeah, I don't want you to treat people the way that you don't want to be treated. Exactly. And that's like kind of what I'm talking about, like the dominance yeah. is a good example, because that's something that is animal. It's mm-hmm. ingrained in our DNA. Mm-hmm. And some people, particularly men, are more 
likely to engage in those kind of activities. Like, and you, you notice it with kids a lot because they're just so raw. Yeah. But like you go watch a playground, you'll see a lot of kids uh, exerting dominance over other kids in various ways. Mm-hmm. Girls do it a lot more socially. But with boys, like, I never know when I should step in, mm-hmm. like, to draw the line because I want boys to grow into strong men mm-hmm. who are who are not afraid of conflict, who are ready to speak up when there's injustice, mm-hmm. who, are, who are have integrity and honor and all these things that are so important and part of masculinity. But I also don't want to encourage dominance. And entitlement. And entitlement. And, yeah. and, and just, like, all these parts of just assholes Mm -hmm. like people who grow up to be assholes yeah like i want really trying to avoid the asshole thing yeah it's but it's really really hard oh it is and to try to explain to them like yeah you might have these natural instincts to try to exert force over this other person or that you think it's competitive but you're really being a jerk right now exactly yeah and and where to draw that line because you want them to be competitive Mm -hmm. or to be able to be yeah but maybe with some grace Mm -hmm. and just you can still be kind and like and be a strong competitor. You yeah. can still be successful at something without putting someone else down. Exactly. And those are things because you know he's an avid reader and like just because some of your friends or other classmates don't read as strongly as you do or don't like reading as much as you do, that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with them either. Like yeah. you just you have different interests and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. just trying to make him so comfortable in his own individuality that he doesn't feel like he has to put anyone else down to make himself feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to to train a kid to think that, like, you get to choose who you are, but at the same time, you don't. No. You gotta love who you are, but you also can, you have some control over who you become. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's like... Being a human is a trip, man. It it, it really is. It's, uh, yeah. Sometimes I'll go off on a a thing like that that's kind of like a gray area topic. Uh Uh-huh. And I look over at the kids halfway through, I'm just like... They're humoring me. They're not even really listening. Um, and I hope someday that they're when they're going through their pursuits and trying to figure this stuff out on their own, that they'll remember this conversation. Yeah. And they'll be like, okay, that's what he was trying to talk mm-hmm. about. Just like that, we're living in their heads just enough yeah. <laughs> to be the conscience of planting yeah. seeds. Uh-huh. Planting seeds. Yeah. But we've got some good kids. We do. Got some really I, good I'm kids. A huge they're fan. some of my favorite people in the whole world. Me too. They're all hilarious. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. That's actually something that's uh, part of that, teaching them to be kind. Mm-hmm. is like learning how to wield a good joke. Yeah. Those jokes can be so hurtful. Real like, bad. <laughs> usually the funniest ones. Yeah. Like you got to really be careful um, what you let them get away with because sometimes a joke will just kill uh, and somebody's over there crying. Like, mm-hmm. You don't really want that. No. If a joke is going to hurt someone's feelings, someone specific is like the target of the joke, probably shouldn't tell it. Mm-hmm. And if you can only make people laugh by insulting others you just might not be funny. you're not funny yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. you're just an asshole mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> it's it's tricky yeah because you, you can make a lot of people laugh especially when you're young just by like pointing out other people's flaws oh yeah and then yeah you start to believe that that's how you do it mm-hmm. and then by the time you're an adult you have no friends yeah exactly i've been loving that Lucas is liking ba- or Luke is liking baseball. It now. has been so joyful watching him be joyful playing baseball because he 
adamantly hated it. Yeah. Hated it. I remember Melissa retelling the story of when Chase and Sawyer were down on the beach just trying to be like nice, bigger kids of, hey, got buddy, you want to play baseball? And they were, I think, throwing it with like a stick even. And he, baseball's the worst sport in the world. And yeah. that was his way of saying no. But like, he was, off, I mean, he when he has a decision on something, that's really hard to change it. And then COVID happened and he was going to play. And then he was thrilled that it was canceled. I think he might have been the only child that was so happy that things were shut down because he didn't have to play baseball. So we told him, you know, if you don't want to play anymore, no one's going to make you. If you sign up, you have to stay through the season. But if you don't want to sign up, we're not going to drag you to Little League. Um, and it was like three days before the end of signups. And he, I kind of jokingly said, do you want to play? Assuming it was going to be a hard no. And he goes, yeah, I think I might. And then that turned into, okay, a might needs to be a yes or a no, because again, you're not going to sign up and quit. And I don't yeah. want to drag you to everything. Um, and he goes, no, I think I can do it. And he's having a fucking blast. That's so great. He is loving it. And he's succeeding. Like yeah. he's improving every game. And Getting hits, yeah, plays. and it's making him like such a better person, <laughs> which That's not, it's not that he was a bad person, but I told him that like, because of course he has his first big hit out and, you know, he had a center field single or del- I don't remember what it was out in Nacelle at the beginning of the season and he's riding that high the whole way home on like do you think I could play for the Yankees and it was like I am really glad that you have dreams um probably not like it's, it's a very very slim chance uh, when I was like his age and then my brother Jake hit one right directly after mm, yeah and both I mean they were really just a lot of errors and we made it all the way uh-huh, the yeah but we just talked about it last week like, <laughs> that we're was still a into badass it. experience yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Field, actually yeah that's funny that's funny yeah that's actually really sweet mm-hmm. i love those homegrown stories yeah i like having grown up here and now we get to raise kids here mm-hmm. it's pretty cool because i i have stories everywhere we go yeah it's just like, it's a high school reunion everywhere we go too that too yeah yeah, especially now that the podcast is going because people are paying a little bit more attention. Oh, right. So people say hi in a grocery store when they may have not before. Yeah. I feel way more connected than I did a year ago, mm-hmm. which is nice. Yeah, especially coming through a pandemic. That's yeah. actually really fucking impressive. That's what I needed was like, and that was the kind of the catalyst for this show starting was just like, I got to talk to somebody. I, I spent so much time alone. I just Because right, you're isolated in your job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, not just that. I was alone all day long and then I would come home and Melissa was, that would be the first time that she had had any time away from kids yeah. all day. Balancing kindergarten and homeschool. Yeah. yeah. So she's tapped out. she got no conversation left in her body no. and I'm just like dying for it. <laughs> and so it's just like, feed I, me conversation yeah. or I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. And I'm, my head is full of thoughts mm-hmm. all the time. And it was, I just needed to get some of them out and onto another person. <laughs> <laughs> so I just did this. Well, it started working. Yeah. I don't think I would have done it if the pandemic wouldn't have hit. Really? No. Cause I've thought about it for years Yeah, and it just, uh, never seemed like a pressing issue, uh-huh. but I always pictured doing it someday. And then I just, just why not now? Yeah. Just yeah. Now. If well, not during a pandemic, then when? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you finally had the quiet time. I mean, all the, all the activities that you guys are usually chasing kids to, coaching and all that, it's canceled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you actually had the downtime to set it up. Yeah. And it's become a really fun thing. It's something yeah. I look forward to the whole week. It's nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming out here and talking about your dads. This I has love been my really, dads. really pleasant. You're my brother-in-law. <laughs> like, yeah, and I love you. It's an easy conversation to just have, but... 
Um, but yeah, I, I felt comfortable because I knew that the topic would be my dad's and I could, yes. And knowing what those boundaries are. Um, but yes, this was definitely outside my comfort zone. Cause I feel like the pandemic especially has made me really dig more into my introverted side. I'm not intimidated by social events, but I'm not, I don't thrive on other people's energy sometimes. So yeah, it was, it was a lot for me. Hey guys, robot Jeff again. I have to apologize on behalf of my clumsy human counterpart. Somehow during editing, his weak fleshly fingers made a mistake and the two interview tracks ended up overlapping. I won't bore you with the technical details, but suffice to say, it was caused by human error. Huh? Huh? Just some robot humor for you there. Well, I had better let you get back to the show. Please welcome, sister of Michelle and wife of your host, Melissa Nesbitt. To come in here, so I appreciate that. So on a charter boat... I was a deckhand and my job was to bait all of the hooks for the customers on the boat. So I was constantly at my hands in a bucket of anchovies or herring, whatever we were using. And um, and then on the way in, you gut and gill all of the fish so that the customers can carry off these fish that are ready to go. And I'm talking primarily salmon. I don't think we ever gut and gilled bottom fish. And I certainly wasn't doing that with sturgeon. But... Yeah, I got and gelled a lot of salmon coming back to Owaco on those charter days. But anyway, my dad gave me that. And there were times where having a fisherman dad was really frustrating because your your life is not on a normal schedule and unpredictable weather and Yes. Yeah. Vacations get canceled or postponed. It was never clear whether he was going to make it to my volleyball game or not. It depended if he was back to the dock in time, things like that. He made it to a lot of them, though, huh? (laughs) He was there a lot. And I never held it against him when he wasn't because my mom was always there. But for a kid like me who was wound a little bit tightly, I think it was hard sometimes to not have 100% assurance that something was going to happen or not happen. Yeah, you like consistency. Yeah, it definitely probably taught me to be more flexible than I wanted to be naturally. Um, And so I always said, like, I'll never date a fisherman. I will never marry a fisherman. And then you birthed one. Yeah, that's the thing. You just can't (laughs) predict it. I didn't marry a fisherman, but I made one. And he is so a fisherman to his core. To his core. It's not anything he's – it doesn't seem like he has any choice in the matter. It's just like his his soul wants to be out there. And I find myself feeling like it's a waste of this good brain. I had to break myself of that right away. It's it's not right. It's wrong. I still do it. Ah, but you're a straight-A student and all you want to do is be on the water. But I'm just like he'll he'll use that brain for something good. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I could see. I mean, the fisheries need people to speak for them. They're, and this generation of fishermen are going to get old. They're going to go away. And there's a, the, the crop coming up are, is tiny. There's like no one to take their places. So Sawyer is, is probably going to end up being a very important person. It, it, that's kind of what I predict in this local fishery. I just want to make sure that he earns his place. So my dad had always said when he had enough money or he had the means, he's somebody who really started his commercial fishing at ground zero. 
He started getting on boats at the age of 12, which is how old Sawyer is now. He didn't have a dad to kind of like guide him along. He had a connection through an uncle, but really had to work his way up. So he ran boats for other people until he had enough money to buy his own boat. Now he has this small fleet and he is really proud of that. And so when I was growing up, the thing was always when my dad had the money to build a boat, he would name it the Carla Marie after my mom. It was like a running thing you guys talked about? Yeah. My mom dropped that often. This someday boat, the Carla Marie. Uh-huh. So my dad finally builds a boat and he builds a gillnet boat from scratch. Well, he named it Sawyer after <laughs> my son, his first grandson, which I think my mom is okay with because the Carla Marie in her mind was this big crab boat. How does she, she's, I mean, I know she's fine with it now. How'd she feel about it at first? I think I she was okay. Because she was already in grandma mode by then. She knows the love there. Yeah. Sawyer was very little when my dad named this boat after him. Mm-hmm. So Sawyer's had this boat and then they just let him believe it was his boat. And he was just a toddler. I think in my mind, he might've been a little older than toddler, but. He was the first grandkid though. And he was probably like, just like the focus of the attention at that time. You know, the was golden really child with this boat with yeah. his name on it. And I remember John DeMassey was the boat puller at the time. So fishing the boat for my dad and. He would come ask Sawyer, is it okay if I take your boat out tonight? And Sawyer would give him permission. But he really feels like that's his boat. Yeah. Um, so I want to make sure that he earns it and that he's not just sort of like inheriting He's been the working it for industry. years. He's only a little kid and he's been working it for years already. <laughs> so I think he's, he'll have, by the time he can, you know, tow it down the road, I think he'll be, have already put in his time. But my dad gave us that. And he's really been Sawyer's mentor and kind of stepped into the dad role for him when I was single and his dad wasn't in the picture. And um, I'm just so grateful to him as a grandpa. I'm grateful to him for everything he did for Michelle and I. And he... I just always loved us so much and um, saw us as his daughters. And he has so much pride. It's when I hear him talking about us to other people that I'm just like, oh, my gosh, he's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But seeing him as a grandpa is just the best. Yeah, he's pretty good at it. Pretty he's good a really at good it. papa. Yep. It is not a matter of like, hey, will you take the kids? He is constantly like, can I have Sawyer? Can I have him before school or get him to school on time? What's he doing after school? What's Sawyer doing Saturday? It's just like, hey, he's mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back off a bit. But- yeah, during gill netting season, it's, it feels like that. Eventually, after a few weeks of it, I'm just like, well, don't let him go anymore. <laughs> just make him hang out with us for just like a day. <laughs> he's gone every day. Like he'll, he'll, he, he, It's like he's working a real job. Like, And it started, I mean, when I came to the picture, he was already doing that, like, several days a week at certain times a year and um yeah it's only become it's only gotten more and more and now he's actually working working like he's he's got a position on the boat but still it's a when your little kid is up and out of the house before you wake up <laughs> yeah like i got work to do so i asked a bunch of people to come do this podcast about just come tell a story about your dad my idea was to have 
several different people tell a quick story and put them all together, but um, a lot of people don't want to do that. And I'm not sure if that's because they have, I mean, I know some of them, the reasons, but I don't know. It was, it was surprised me, honestly. I thought people would be like, oh yeah, I would love to. Relationships with your parents are tricky. Yeah. I, I don't have just one that stands out. I have this like cumulative memory, especially of my dad, because he um, was pretty out of my life at an early age. Yeah. Thinking of how big he was, though, that's just like really stands out to me. I remember my sister and I going to visit him in Junction City and we took her car. She was probably 16. And she had this little red Toyota Paseo, which is a very small two-door little uh, the sports car of toyota in probably the early 90s oh i know it (laughs) and we were going to pizza and he really had to fold himself into the passenger seat of this thing like the chair was completely reclined and the sunroof is open and his arm is out the passenger side door and i'm in the back seat behind my sister just like really crammed back there because he's taking up the front row and the back row. It's like trying to force a gorilla into a yes, power wheel. Yes, and I really don't want to make this sound like he was a particularly obese man. He was overweight, definitely, at the end. But um, he was like a very active golfer, and he played basketball. And so- he was still playing co-ed sports like well into his 30s, maybe even 40s. I, I actually have lost track of the timeline there. No, 30s. Yeah, I think we saw that one picture of him in that box of stuff where he's like has a large beard and there's like chest hair coming out of the top of his jersey and I was like, was he in high school for this? <laughs> yeah, so like, like, I don't think so. I think maybe actually he was like 20. <laughs> the <laughs> so rec still leagues around a... here were just like, they went on for a while yeah. back then. It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was like just towering over everybody. He was just a big man with a big voice and he I remember him singing. He had a den in our house in Seaview and he would just like crank the Garth Brooks and he liked to sing. That's cool. I didn't yeah. know actually your sister said that briefly. Um we never went back to it and that's cool. I love singing and I love people who love to sing. It's it's takes a vulnerable person. Like, it, it feels very open and exposed to sing. That's why a lot of people don't want to do it. I don't, it's it's hard. But um, when a big, burly, like, guy, a big masculine guy is, is okay to be vulnerable and even goofy or silly, I, I love it. I think it's so cool. It's funny. I think that was a hard balance for him. So he was raised by a man who, my grandpa, who was also Dan Fithin, um, there was a lot of that like masculine, like boys don't cry thing. Toxic masculinity. Yeah, my dad and his brother Bob would fight, um, or of course, but their punishment would be to fight each other, to box or to wrestle or to do push-ups. Um, so it was always this like head-to-head. They were bred to be like fighters. And um, I think Bob was actually a very good fighter. My dad was more of a gentle giant. He used his size. There was always jokes about his friends kind of getting into mischief, just like talking a big game or starting bar fights. And then my dad would be the one who'd have to kind of like step in and like part 
the mobs of people with his size. That's a useful person to have around. <laughs> and I'm not saying he didn't fight, um, but I don't think he was like out looking for a fight. Yeah. At least in my memory. But yeah, no, he he was big and yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, I feel like if some if I needed to like defend myself and fight somebody, I'd do all right. You got plenty of black powder hidden away in there and just waiting for someone to light a match. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, we actually, me and Michelle talked about this a little bit, but. Um, me fighting? No, just oh. about our, our personality styles in, as individuals, like you, her, and me just relating back. But um, how you're both very okay with everything everything's fine everything's fine till it's not and then it's like watch out <laughs> and she said that she called it the barbara um some something had to do with barbara your grandma and yeah but and i totally related i was just like oh my god it's like you've known melissa your whole life <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know if anybody knows if you two together Probably. It's interesting what my sister and I got from my dad that's different. We both look very fithin, mm -hmm. but in different ways. My sister has like the fithin hands and feet and she's taller. Um, so she looks like a fithin that way. I'm pretty short for a fithin. How, yeah, you're, and you're not short. How tall are you actually? I'm five, five, seven, five. five, five. Yeah. You seem taller. I know you want me to be taller. I, I've, I've but said this before. Yeah. Like where I thought you were five. I, for some reason, always think I you're five seven. I don't even ever wear heels. Huh. But yeah, I'm five five. My sister is a little closer to five nine. And um, my cousins are all quite a bit taller. And um, yeah, the fifth ones were just all over six feet, my grandma included. And um, and very dark. <laughs> yeah. So I'm that. Like, my skin is darker than my sister's. My hair is darker. I've got, like, the thick, dark eyebrows and the my darker, thick hair. My sister doesn't have that. But we didn't, like, get the same traits. Uh -huh. My dad was I, – I want to describe him as academic, but he – just finished high school. I don't know that he did much after that, but he really liked to write and was very smart and kind of wise. But his how he identified himself was like through athletics or working with his hands. Traditional so, masculine. Yeah. So rural by trade, values. I don't think he was doing a whole lot academic, but just going back and reading things that he wrote when he was younger, because I have this bin of things of my dad's. He was very smart. Where did he grow up? So the he was born in Boise, Idaho, but grew up here on the peninsula. Okay. Yeah. And so then both places are like not academic cultures. That's right. That's what I was thinking. Do you think he would have been a totally different person if he grew up in like uh, Palo Alto, California, or or somewhere next to a big university? Yes. Yeah. Well, and it his upbringing. Um, was very reflective of the dad who raised him. His dad died. He had a heart attack while clam digging when my dad was 15. Was he there? And I don't actually know. I wish I knew these things, but I don't. Either it way. was something my dad never liked to talk <laughs> about. He died on Valentine's Day. Valentine's Jeez. Day was like a sad day in my family. Um, and it was my dad and his brother who was two years younger, and they were very close. Well, then... My grandparents had a surprise baby who was two 
when their dad died. Um, my uncle Jeff was too, and um, okay. So he, he is a very different person than my dad and Bob were. He is not that like bruiser of a fifth in man. He was never like the kind of athlete those guys were. Um, my uncle Bob was like a little all-American. He was not little, but I think little school all-American. I guess he was a hell of a football player. I've heard that. Um, So I think he would have been a different person if he had been raised by just his mom who played the organ at the Lutheran church. And I mean, she was a pretty hard woman too, but... um, Another musician though. Yeah, yeah. There was always music in our lives. But he really put sports on me I was going to be the basketball player um, and my sister did piano lessons and my grandma Margaret I think always preferred my sister because she liked to watch musicals with her and play the piano. Which you would have done but that just wasn't your game. They just put this like sports hat on me. Yeah but you like musicals and, and that kind of stuff a little bit. You, I do. Yeah. But my sister would grow up to become Maria in The Sound of Music. So she won awards for They would have loved her more. (laughs) I don't know about my dad, but my grandma Margaret certainly preferred her when she was around. Were you a serious kid? Did you were you like business oriented and because you're both like to me at least, but I I know and and to your students, like you're a kindergarten teacher. Right. You're you can be a goofball and it it's like a tap you can turn on. But uh, were you like a goofy kid or were you like a no, Sawyer or an Elsa? I was way more a Sawyer. My sister was goofy enough for both of us. Uh-huh. I don't know why, but I always felt like I needed to keep her in check and like wrangle her in. All Just, these uh, kids like, so childish. Oh my gosh. Such a Sawyer though, right? Uh-huh. Um, That's how he acts now. Yeah. And then my sister just, I have, <laughs> I was terrible to her sometimes. She really went out of her way to just annoy the shit out of me. I feel so bad about being a dick to my brothers and sisters. Michelle admits now when I'm apologetic, just like, gosh, I shouldn't have done that to you or said that to you. That sounds terrible. And then Michelle would be like, well, in your defense. Yeah, little brothers and sisters can get under your skin. Yeah. I, I try to remember that now when I'm like, if I'm upset with Elsa or Sawyer for being... Uh, uh, bullying Amelia, even though that's that's thrown that term around a little bit. But when they're just being mean for no reason, and just like there's a certain amount of that that's you gotta just let it happen because that's that's kind of how the kid learns. Like sometimes people are just dicks for no reason, <laughs> and you gotta you gotta be able to expect it and really maybe just let it roll off you and not let it be a big thing. And especially that your daddy's not always just gonna come running and say like, hey, you be nice to her. <laughs> <laughs> which I do so far, but I'm working on it. And I have to do the same thing to Amelia because she's picking on the big kids too. I really just want everybody to get along. But there's this thing, right? So when my dad was growing up and he and his brother were fighting, there would be like some form of organized like, all right, then you're going to fight it out safely. And like, yeah. here you go. And like letting them throw punches, which I can't imagine doing. Like, If we had another boy... Yeah, I would I would you I think? would picture that happening sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. Um it's fun. But you regret beating up your brother. I regret beating him up when he didn't deserve it. I regret taking out my emotional problems on him. I regret just not appreciating him. Like I had a 
best friend who was just born and just like got to hang out with me is cool. Right. But I don't regret setting up backyard boxing. I, I don't regret, okay. you know, like play wrestling. I don't regret any of that. I, I don't even regret really burying him um, up to his neck and <coughs> I don't, no, I don't so much regret handcuffing him to the steering wheel of that old car in the parked in that field, but because um, I came right back, you know, I tortured him only a little bit. What I, I really the only thing I regret about who I was to him was just like stuff that genuinely hurt him, like that made him feel bad or like you know any of that. That's the stuff I regret. The mm-hmm. teasing. Yeah. Kids are just mean. They are. And I think a lot of times we're trying to be funny and then it doesn't land and we don't always know. And then later you just feel icky. Yeah. If you can't make people laugh with anything other than hurtful stuff, then you're just not funny. Yeah. I Yeah. I don't know. I was pretty serious. I grew up with the Knicks, though, and my grandpa Eddie, my mom's dad, was also a big part of my life. And he was really funny and teased us all the time. So I think I always had a sense of humor. I knew how to laugh. I just didn't really care to be the one making the jokes. Yeah. But you have to have a little bit of an edge to get by in the Nick family. Your mom was pretty close with her dad too, right? Incredibly. Yeah. I remember that being... I wanted her to come talk about that, but she doesn't understand podcasts. They're confusing. (laughs) It's like, what is this? What am I listening to? When does the show start? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is literally how I felt the first several that I listened to. It took a bit to get used to it, where it's just like, so they just sit and talk. That's it. Oh, if she turned on one of those where you're like unwrapping candy or looking for the Skittles, she'd just be like, this is by accident, right? It has to be. Why would he record this? Mm-hmm. I'm Well, that's the thing is I record everything, and then I trim away, trim away, trim away until what's left is left. It's not the opposite. I don't like have a, a a storyboard with scenes and writing copy for things. I'm just going, trim away what I don't need, and sometimes the, the skittles get left in. Yeah, like, I love the skittles part. I liked the skittles part. Yeah, that was my favorite part uh, because it was serendipitous. I didn't plan it. That's what was great about it. I said the thing about skittles when I was in my car at the beach, and then I got back to the studio, and there was skittles sitting here waiting for me that I had left the other day. Amelia actually left them. A gift from God. Yep. Skittles in general, taste that rainbow. Okay, so you are Stanton Jeffrey Nesbitt III. That's right. Yeah. So how do you feel like living up to that name? I like it, actually. I I identify strongly as a Stanton. Yeah, and you fought pretty hard to name Amelia Stanton the fourth. Well, I, I, I thought Stantonette had a real nice mm-hmm. ring to it. Stantonette, Jeffrey the fourth. We call her Jeffrey for short. No, I, I didn't consider even if I had a boy, I wasn't. I was gonna let the the Stanton tradition end, just mostly because it's just so cool that I didn't want to have to compete with my own child mm-hmm. for coolness. I didn't want them thinking they were as cool as me or even close. How did it feel growing up as Jeffrey or Jeff with a dad who's Jeff? Well, it was very context dependent. At my home, I was always Jeffrey and with my mom and actually my dad and anyone who I grew up around, actually. My, my old childhood friends, they still call me Jeffrey too sometimes. And I'm fine with it. It's a term of endearment. If you call me Jeffrey, I better love you. 
Because if I don't, I now hate you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because you call me something that you're not welcome to call me. And, um, yeah, I'm just kidding. I don't hate anybody. But I don't like being called Jeffrey by people who I don't know. And I especially don't like being called Stanton by people that I do know. That bothers me a lot, the, probably the most. Because it's not, I, I, I know it's my name, but I think of it more like uh, like my college degree. It's something that I have, and it, I, like, I own it. It's mine forever. No one can take it away from me. But I don't choose to be identified as that. Like, it's just part of, part of the package. But yeah, like people at the DMV or the library, they can call me Stanton. Because that's what it says on the paper. They're just doing their job. How would they know? Did you feel closer to your dad because you have his name? I don't know. I only have my own experience to go by. But I think that probably. I remember when I was young especially, and he used to dangle the birthright um, in front of me and just, you know, let me know that I had the advantage as the firstborn. If you played your cards right, you were going to inherit everything he owns. The whole fortune. And, you know, since then, you know, I've lost a few of these battles. And I don't know, I'm probably still close to 50%. But I don't know, Jacob Jedediah, he's, he's, took a, he's taken some of that from me. Some of the birthright has gone to him. And actually, you know, now that I think about it, you're probably right. And we did probably connect on that name thing. Because really, him and Jake are really compatible as personality types. They've always been super tight, just automatically, because they're into the same stuff. They share the love of cars. Yes. And I, I love cars too, but not in the same way like they do. They're, they're really good at working on them. Both of them grew up watching their own dad work on cars for a long time. I will never, ever punch my dad in the face. Like, he used to always try to get me to as a teenager. <laughs> like, when I would be giving him attitude uh, and it was pissing him off, he, like, you could tell he wanted to fight me <laughs> just to just to reestablish dominance. But uh, I never took that bait because he kicked my ass. Even now, as an adult, where, like, I'm definitely stronger than him, and if I just met him for the first time as a stranger, I would have zero question. It was like, oh, yeah, I better protect this sad old man but as my dad if he's gonna come at me i know i better be crafty because he's got some moves he's gonna thumb me in the eye or <laughs> something like that you never know with him i'm just basically i'm he, i'm too smart to to fight him he, he's got he's got his ways okay well tell me how you feel about being the dad to teenage girls scared that is coming yeah i feel actually very nervous about that because, uh, well, honestly, it's because this world's a scary place. And also, it's hard to, to be a dad to girls without, like, acknowledging their vulnerability in the world. And to acknowledge their vulnerability is to acknowledge that they're different and to acknowledge that there are fundamental and, and inherent differences between boys and girls, which I think is not allowed anymore. I might already be canceled just for saying that. But... I, uh, I do think so. I think that I need, I'm gonna have to work a lot harder to protect Elsa than Sawyer. This is something I know my dad um, dealt with just in that like girls can do anything, boys can do kind of way, except there were things he didn't want me to do. Yeah. Like when I expressed wanting to fish, I really wanted to go to Bristol Bay with him because that's where they make all the money. 
And I wanted the money. I yeah. wanted to go on my summer break from college, make a bunch of money so that I didn't have to work during the school year while I was taking classes. And boys that I had graduated high school with were going up and making tens of thousands of dollars in a summer. And I just thought, I want to do that. You have a boat up there. Take me with you. And he didn't want to. He just felt like I can't fish as hard as I need to fish with my daughter on the boat. And I understood that, but I didn't think it was fair. And then he got me a job charter fishing here. But it's not the same because you go to Alaska, you're up there for six weeks. It's hard, fast fishing, and you come home with a lot of money if it's a good season. Charter fishing in Ilwaco is day trips. You're not overnight. And it at the time was seven days a week. And you're dealing with tourists. Dealing with tourists, not fishermen, 5 a.m. mornings. A charter boat is really there's one skipper and generally one deckhand, and you have eight to 10 people on the boat, I guess 12, maybe 14. Um, And you take them out for the day of fishing. And if all goes well, everybody catches something. And then you come in and these happy people go off with their fish and you give them this ocean fishing experience. So you're it's it's almost a performance when you're a deckhand, right? A little bit. Like your mood and the way you interact with the customers makes a huge difference. It felt like a performance when I got good. Because I could net two salmon in one on one scoop, and uh-huh. then the you know tourists would be like, "Wow, that's great!" Um, and I got to be pretty good at that, or decent enough, proficient. Yeah, and so that was one of those like, "Yep, the girls can keep up with the boys." Look at that, but you didn't take me to Alaska. Yeah, so, and you think that was not because he thought you weren't skilled enough, but because a dad has a lot of jobs and. The number one is protect my family. It's a dangerous fishery. Yeah. Which is scary to say out loud because now he's taking my 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he never took me. I've never been. Let's talk about that a little bit. Okay. Because I'm nervous about it. Yeah. Um, and not because I don't think he's qualified or there's just like everything is right. It checks all the boxes and he's going to be with the most experienced person he's like everything's the way it should be but i'm still scared about Mm it um just because he's just he's our little guy and it's uh it's hard to think about i i can't even imagine what you're how you're dealing with it i don't know how you're doing it i'm just trying really hard to be supportive it's like well, you said he was just like born into this thing and he's been on that damn gillnet boat since he could walk onto it. Um, and if you watch him down at the port, like he's launching the boat, he's driving the boat, he knows how to maneuver it. He knows all like the just bits and pieces. He yeah. has worked this <clears throat> vessel time and time again and he's not on the Sawyer in Alaska, but he knows the trade. He's been on multiple boats. And He's got experience on the ocean. Yeah, so that's what actually my dad was just talking about, um, you know, hiring new people. And just like Sawyer has a lot more hours than a lot of guys who are in their 20s. The um, guy on my dad's crab boat right now, Cody, is 26 and grew up on farms. Sawyer has a lot more ocean hours than this 
man my dad calls him a kid than this man has yeah um and he has been gill netting up river in the portland area and young's bay and willapa bay and the river here he i feel like he has done the work and he knows what he's doing but i'm a nervous wreck yeah me too i and i i think it'd be really hard for people to i think it will be hard for people to understand how we could let him go i know that there are people that are just like what um, and then there are some people – I've had this conversation with the parents at baseball because he's giving up his chance to play his last summer season of All-Stars, and he's a pretty good little baseball player. Well, um, some people are like, oh, I can't believe you're letting him go. And then some of the dads are just like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a great experience. It's a huge he's opportunity. Learn a lot. Let him go. This is going to be awesome. But I also had that conversation – I was asking one of the dads who had gone as a teenager, but how old were you? Well, he was 16. It's like, okay, that might feel a little better. Yeah. But it's that same thing. He's going with your dad. Your dad knows what he's doing. Like, that's I'm just trying to trust. Yeah. That's the thing is like, I just picture myself when I was 12 and I wouldn't, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been ready. I wasn't ready at that age to go, to go that far away from my mom. And... Yeah, I just I'm I'm nervous about it, but I, I I think he'll be safe, and I just want him to also be happy. I I picture him out there wanting like and wanting to go home, and that's when I'm just like, oh God, please don't let that happen. That part doesn't worry me so much. Like if he's out there and he wants to go home and he's just missing me, the worst case scenario is he doesn't want to go next year. And then we can just be done with Alaska. But yeah. the safety thing worries me. And I'm just like trying really hard not to miss him already. But I know I'm going to miss him so much. That's not the part that's getting me, though. I just really want him to be safe. He'll be it's safe. It's a very dangerous fishery. Yeah. And we know that. Um, but it's like what he wants to do. And I don't want to step in the way of his dream either. I don't think it's any more dangerous than Dungeness Crab out here, is it? Maybe not. And we, we just feel like it is because it's so far away. I mean, we know that out here in the wintertime, we have the most dangerous bar crossing exactly. in the world. And um, we let him go. But he is not going on the days out here where they're just, like, fishing really hard. He's not out there on dump day. He's not out there on those, like, peak pick days. Um, but we do. You're right. We let him go crabbing. Yeah. And I and your dad is known as like one of the safer, more cautious captains. Like he's gonna he's gonna be okay. We also know that while boats go down here every year, there's also fluke accidents like in the bay, yeah. which isn't known to be a dangerous place to fish. So I think accidents yeah. just happen in that industry, and it's really nerve wracking when it's like your child and yeah. you talked about luke i lost a friend when i was 19 whose boat went down um a chinook kid and mm -hmm. i just like nobody wants that to be their kid yeah but it's happening where we live in a world where people eat fish and somebody's got to go out and get it we happen to be immersed in that world and i don't know i i think that I think we're doing okay. I, I just, I'm scared. <laughs> My parents were really good about 
supporting all the things I thought I wanted to do. My sister too. Yeah. And we've talked about that. My parents sent my sent my sister to Alaska when she was in middle school. Well, she was going to visit a clown. Yeah, not to fish, just to <laughs> see her clown friend. But they let her go for five weeks or something crazy. <laughs> I forgot to ask her about that. And um, they, I always wanted to do these like travel club trips. And I went to Washington, D.C. for a close-up thing. Granted, this was high school. But they always supported me and helped me do the fundraising and let me go. And I just feel like I my job is to support him. And I, there's no way in hell I would send him up just to crew some random person's boat. But oh, it's fuck like no. uh, This is not that. It's my dad. And I, they have had this thing in the works for so long. That's where I shot myself in the foot. When Sawyer was maybe six – and wanting to go to Bristol Bay, maybe he was older than that, but I'm thinking like little. Yeah. Um, wanting to go with my dad, we would say, when you're 12. My uh-huh. dad first went to Alaska when he was 12. I don't think it was Bristol Bay. I think it was a different fishery, but. My dad always told me the same thing about cigarettes. You could smoke when you're 12? Not till you're 12. <laughs> but it didn't. I smoked well before that. Okay, so same <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> But like, yeah, not yet, but when you're 12, when Mm -hmm. you're 12. And then my dad had like a crew member um, hurt. I don't know which year I'm talking about, but there's been a couple years where he needed someone last minute and Sawyer has always been like, I'll go, give me a ticket, I'll go. And it's not like, okay, you'll get to, but you got to wait till you're 12. Well, now he's 12. Yeah. And it just seems like a horrible thing to take away from him because he's put in all the work and he's been so focused. He did what we said he had to do. He grew and he worked and like. He's given up like birthday parties and like camping trips with friends and just like social engagements with people his own age to hang out with his papa. And it's because he's trying to put in his time. He wants, he has had a goal. Yeah. And so if he hadn't done all of that and worked toward the goal, it's like, we got to let you. That's the thing. I I feel that so strongly because, God, if it was any, like almost any other situation, I wouldn't even fucking consider it. I would say no so fast just because we don't get that much time with these kids. Just got the 18 years and then it's done and and they can do whatever they want but i want those time i want those years i feel like those are our years and i want them <laughs> and but i came into this when he had already started this project and so my job as his dad is to to help facilitate who he's going to become and the man he's going to become is a fisherman and so i'm going to help him it's been funny because he doesn't give you any credibility for having been on boats or knowing your way around boats. He really just treats you as this novice who has no clue. Well, it's, it's I am, to be honest with you. I, I Growing up here, to, to most people who aren't from a coastal town or who haven't spent any time on boats, I know a lot about boats and the ocean and being on the water. But plus, also, I was I'm a certified boat operator for the government for several years. <laughs> uh, so I have a fair amount of knowledge of how to do these things, but never fishing. Fishing is a thing I know nothing about. Other than the fisheries, I was on some salmon recovery boards. Um, so I guess I know a few things about fish. By Sawyer standards, a, a fisherman is somebody who lives that life and right. like, is in it. And I'm certainly not. 
um, I'm a fair weather fisherman. So it's been really funny to see him kind of like show you the ropes. Which like... I love. And <laughs> like it's, he does it now that he's a little older, he's very uh, polite about it. And, and it's fun. And if, if he lets himself actually do it without being weird. He, remember when I first came to the picture? That was how Sawyer and me had any tension, which was very minimal. But that was it. Is like he didn't want me acting like I knew shit about boats. <laughs> because <laughs> that was him and his papa's thing and he was like happy to tell me about boats and if if he happened to make up some shit that was not true i just started letting him teach me and i was just like oh that's awesome i never knew that about boats and so i would start asking him questions about boats, knowing that he's never had any experience with this specific kind it's like what's that boat all about and he'll tell he'll tell me but uh, yeah, seven-year-old Sawyer was an expert in maritime law and you know ocean creatures, fishing regulations of any country, state, or city, um, and I loved it. It's like we we really bonded over him teaching me all the things that that he knew or thought he knew. Surprisingly high accuracy rate for a seven-year-old, like better than most. I I would say I was impressed right away. But yeah, it was great. As is how like those memories are golden for me. I think back on him so fondly because he's he's just he's a teenager now practically, and that little boy is gone. But yeah, he's still in there. He'll still tell you a thing or two. I find myself reminding him though, thinking about um, yeah, some of that. Like I sorry, I worked on the ocean every day for two summers. Mm-hmm. I know. He didn't want to give me give me credit for any of that. Yeah, it's like oh, mom. Yeah, I I feel him becoming a teenager and like mostly conversationally. Like he's starting to do that teenager, like well, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. Thing, and I'm just like hyper aware of it because I'm I don't I'm, I'm looking for making sure he's not going to get depressed. So many depressed kids. It's it's ridiculous. Like. Looking at the data on social media engagement and how it's affecting our youth scared the shit out of me. So I'm I'm trying really hard to just be involved with the kids' emotional health. So I'm asking them maybe too much how they're doing. And Sawyer has either he's gotten annoyed with that and started to think of it as nosy, or he's just like a teenager. I make him I have taken his phone away though I'm watching him just like he has two things he'll obsessively check snapchat and in his defense his friends like to spam things so there's always something but I don't think we need to check snapchat all the time which I was very opposed to letting him have but I gave in because that is his baseball group text yeah they text in Snapchat. They have this group called The Boys, and I look at it from time to time. And a lot of it is dumb stuff, like about Mexican avocados, and they, like, put a bunch of emojis. It's it's just – it's kid stuff or 12-year-old boy stuff. Yeah. Nothing concerning. There's nothing pornographic. There's not a bunch of, like, profanity. Uh-huh. Um, I feel like it's harmless, but I don't need him to be looking at it all the time. Give him one more year. I, I mean, some of those kids are already in middle school. I, things got a lot filthier between sixth and seventh grade and even more between seventh and eighth. By ninth grade, you're, you're a degenerate. 
I have um, been aware of him deleting things that he were, was afraid were going to get him in trouble. Good man. So, but, uh, you know, I'm like glad for that. But the other thing is he has this app that tracks boats. Uh-huh. And he can and see where, yeah, the airplane one, he Give hasn't been number. so into. <laughs> but the boats, he just got into an argument with my dad the other day about somebody who had already headed to Alaska. So he was like, I know they left. Their boat is in Westport. Look. And my dad goes, I know he didn't leave because I just talked to him this morning. Someone else is running his boat. Um, but so is tracking people. Yeah. Tracking boats. Oh, yeah, I realize that when he asks me regularly if he can go stand on the corner and look down the river to see boats coming in. And he's out there with his binoculars and his notepad. And then he hops on his bike with his life jacket and he's like, yeah. I'm going to the port. Yeah. But back to the things you'll let a boy do as a dad oh, yeah. and not a girl. We never came back. Oh, thank you. We, um, we let Sawyer put in his life jacket and ride to the port. And check yeah. out the boats coming in. We don't let Elsa do that. Yeah. And I, I don't even love letting Sawyer do it. Now is, I mean, 12 for some reason is a threshold that, that was important to me. 11 seems like, no, I'm not letting my kid at 11 just be alone in a city, uh, even a small one. Because there's pedophiles and predators out there and just, I'm not really willing to risk it. Uh, you know how easy it'd be for me to scoop up an 11-year-old as a grown man? I don't care who the 11-year-old is. It's not hard. Um, I mean, it wouldn't be hard. I haven't done it. I got to cut that out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway, but a girl is just like different. I feel so protective of our girls that, and uh, honestly of you too, and you're a grown up, you can protect yourself. But it's something in me that just thinks like, the world is going to target you before it targets a boy. It, you have more to take in a primal way. Like, and I hate to break it down to like such a biological thing, like we're animals, but we are. And girls are just a hotter commodity than boys. It's, it's sad, but it's the truth. And I, I don't know. Oh, this whole podcast is terrifying me. Sorry. I, I'm like... You're feeling the dad thing? Yeah, I just want to I just want to be able to protect our kids all the time. You just can't. No. It's it's an exercise in learning to let go as they get older Those and older. Those kids turn out so weird. I know. You have to let them get hurt. Just try to keep them as safe as you can. It's rough. It's a rough gig. Yeah. But I love it. I wouldn't want to do a different one. So your dad told you you could smoke cigarettes when you were 12. It was a joke. That's just like he would really only say that in public. <laughs> it's terrible he caught he he was not okay with us smoking cigarettes he knows that it's bad for you um he caught us doing we, he caught me and jake smoking cigarettes one time and i think he he was going to do the old like make you smoke the whole pack thing so you never want to do it again that negative uh, attribution or negative association and uh, he couldn't do it so i think he he caught us him um maybe tried to make us finish the cigarette, but it never actually did. It was so gross. I, I, I mean, I've, that's, that was not my first experience with tobacco, and I, to this day, if I have any tobacco, I get real sick. Uh, the first one was the chew that I ate when I was a little kid. But, yeah. Fuck nicotine. I've never had it. 
Oh, you'd love it. Not bizarre. Yeah, not really. No, By the you... time I was coming up and through, everybody knew how bad it was for you. Mm-hmm. I've just never touched it. It's it's gross too, but it does a uh, it does work really fast, and um, so I I can see how it's so addictive. I smoked cigarettes for like one summer, where I, and I would smoke a cigarette on the way to work, and I'd smoke a cigarette after work, and it didn't feel right. I felt like a poser, but I just it was waking me up, and then after work it was like a nice little drive home. But the high is weird. It like makes you feel dirty and kind of sick. It's like, hmm. but really sharp and witty. I felt funnier when I had a cigarette. I don't know why. <laughs> it's true. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. It's just like the thing in your fingers. Could be some that, but I think it's it's the nicotine in my blood. It, it makes you think faster. It's a nootropic. Oh. It, it facilitates cognitive uh, improvement. I feel like now we're promoting cigarettes, so you should cut that out. No, I'm not promoting Don't smoke, cigarettes. kids. Don't smoke. It's not, a, it's not worth it. But if you do want nicotine, there are, are ways you can get it without ingesting tobacco, like Lucy gum. If you use promo code AMP right now at lucy.com, you get 10% off. Sorry, that's from a different podcast, but it is true. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? You don't chew that. No, I don't. But Aubrey Marcus does. Oh, that's his podcast? Yeah. It's a great podcast. For real, though. AMP. I'm just driving around trying to get people to tell me a story about their dad. Yeah? And it can be a funny one, or it can be a touching one, or it can be uh, whatever you want. But if you feel like, tell me a, a story Boy, about your dad. Boy, the first couple that come to mind, I'm not going to tell. Every single person has said that. Okay, I'll tell you a funny one. We used to go out when I was a kid. We had an old 65 Ford wagon. And every once in a while, dad would say, hey, let's go out and do some shooting. Go drive around in the desert, you know, and around the Columbia Basin. There were dirt roads all over out there where there's shopping malls and stuff now. But uh, we're out there driving through the desert. We stopped shotguns for a while, hanging out. It was a hot summer day. And we come along, and there's a bunch of these young people, which Dad referred to as, oh, look at these fucking hippies. Yeah. They must have ran out of gas, dumb fucks, you know. As we're pulling up, he hollers out the window and smiles and says, hey, you guys, are you tired of walking? And they all stop pushing this car down this dirt road in the desert, and they say, yeah, man, we're really tired of walking. And he, he looks at him, and he says, run a while and he drives off <laughs> he just leaves him out there <laughs> you know yeah and if not it probably started a communal living community right there in the desert <laughs> yeah yeah well it was the last day of school when i was in the ninth grade my stepbrother kenny was graduating and he had this rig called the batmobile it was a 59 dodge and it was all customized and stuff. It made into like an El Camino. And it was really cool. Never quite finished, but it had a 383 Mopar motor in it and an automatic. It was fast. It was cool looking. Everybody called it the Batmobile. So me and a bunch of other kids are riding in the back of the Batmobile. And there's a couple of kids up front and Kenny's driving. And we're going through town. We're throwing water balloons at people walking, cars, whatever. Kids do. And I see 
my dad coming down the road the other way in his 38 Pontiac. And I tell everybody, don't throw anything at this guy. Don't. He'll shoot us. You know, don't do it. And this girl, she picks, her name is Crystal. She grabs a balloon and she hucks it as he's going by and we're going opposite ways. And it flies in, hits his windshield and shatters it. Oh my God. Yeah. And Kenny just immediately pulled over. And then the old man whipped that 38 Pontiac around and come up behind us. And he come walking real fast and hard like he does when he's going to hurt somebody. Uh-huh. And uh, was grabbing Kenny and jerking him around inside the car and everything. And kind of figured out what happened. Then he kind of mellowed out. He ended up, he worked for with this gal's dad on the railroad. Uh-huh. And he, he ended up paying for the window. And we put a new... It was flat glass. It was no big deal, but yeah, and we knew how to change it. So, but it it was scary. Yeah, it was scary. Oh fuck! Here he comes. Yeah, I jumped out of the back of the rig and took off running. Oh, (laughs) and then I was hiding behind some bushes down the street, watching until everything. The old man got his car and left, and then I ran back up and hopped back in the back of the Batmobile. Not as scary as he used to be. No, no. You know, and even, you know, I've been living with him the last three years. And when I first moved in, he'd want to act like a, kind of an arrogant dickhead mm-hmm. and stuff. And he's always kind of done that. And then if you contradict him or he interrupts you and you just keep talking, he just starts screaming. And, uh, I, nowadays, I just turn around, scream right back at him. And you've seen me when I'm real mad. I kind of froth the mouth and I lunge, and, and I feel violent, yeah. you know. And I've seen it in his eyes; he's scared. Mm-hmm. And now he doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, not even to the dogs, because when he picks on the dogs, it pisses me off. I don't have a lot of time to. Okay, but I, I do want to. Uh say while I've got you here and it's Father's Day that I appreciate everything that you've done for me and I really really I've done that much you've done a ton like yeah. you're you took care of me for 20 years it's not really Jeffrey you kind of took care of yourself from the time you were about 14 on I mean you're really I good. have done plenty of pointing out all that was kind of when the shit hit the fan and don't I, I you don't had a job like, you know, no, listen, I, I have done enough. You realized at that point, it's like, hey, these people are fucked up. Not and my point. If I want anything, I got to get it myself, which is also something I did teach you. Exactly. Don't wait for anybody else to do anything for you because you're going to be waiting a long fucking time. You put a lot of those skills into my head, and I appreciate it. And it, so and I really, a lot of the tools that I have are, are because of you. And I really, I really want you to know how much I appreciate it. Including that some of the shitty stuff, yeah, because it's it's made me a person with some character and some one with some funny stories to tell. Like it, I do not regret a thing. Only reason I can make you a butt of a joke is because you're the toughest motherfucker I know, and and I feel like you uh-huh. can take it. I don't know about that. It's true, it's true, uh-huh. and I really, I really don't. I the last thing I want to do is make you feel bad or, or like. I don't respect you because I respect the hell out of you. And I really... Well, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I hope... I don't I, know if I deserve it, but I appreciate it. 
everybody deserves respect and yeah. and you as my father deserve respect and honor like it's part of i mean it's fucking it's in the bible you know i tried extremely hard with your kids in a lot of ways and in other ways i just really dropped the ball think about the challenge that you took on as yeah. basically a fucking kid like you were 19 years old when you got married right 20 well no 20 20 i was 20 yeah i was still a kid when i was 20 yeah and I mean, I, there's no way in hell I could have started that. I tried when I was 23 and you saw yeah. how it went. Yeah. Like, well, then there's a lot more to it than your age. Yeah. You know. All right. My life up until, especially when you and mom split up, was so unique and different than most, most kids that we. That's because we're screwballs. We're, we're brutos. Yeah. You know? I know. Hillbillies. It's, it's great. Yeah. We, we focus a lot on the yeah. stuff that, that went wrong because I mean, that's how, how many people can, what we remember you know, it's most. okay to go piss off the porch. Sometimes it is. Yeah. I just want you to know that I, I do not think of you and mom as failures in any way, shape or form. And anytime I talk about the shit that, that didn't go the way that was planned or the way that most people expect, it's because I, I like the way I turned out. And I, I think that people need to see that it's part of the journey. And yeah. it's not it's not a straight line. It's not linear. You get there how you get there. Well, I'm real proud of the way all four of you have turned out. You know? Thank so you. that's you know like like the best accomplishment of my life has been your kids. Well, I feel that. Like I was talking to Melissa about that in the in her little Father's Day section, but the, you'd give me the shirt off your back, and it, it, I, I never, never. Well, I might get you one out of the rag bag. Well, you give me. I, I think the one I'm wearing is probably way too big. Uh, it's too short for me. <laughs> yeah. But the, I don't want my belly hanging out. <laughs> the uh, but my point is like, you've never hesitated to give everything you could to to help your kids and. You can cut yourself some slack for the fact that you happen to still have some of your own personal demons and you're a dad. So, like, you can't just force yourself to heal and then, like, you you did your best. And that's... Not, not always. Not well, always. I'm talking about with your own personal struggles. Like, uh, you you worked with what you had. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds kind of like a cop-out to me. I mean, a person's got to be responsible... For the decisions you make and the actions you take. Yes. You know, and sometimes you even know they're bad when you're doing it. And you're thinking like, ah, it'll be all right. No one will notice or whatever. But it's not all right. It's not. No. You, you got to follow your conscience and let your conscience be your guide. You know, I'm not going to give you a bunch of cliches, but they're, they're cliche that, that's a, a good one. Yeah. You know, because your conscience will tell you if you're doing good or bad and I've ignored mine a lot. Well, you taught me not to ignore mine. Yeah. So you're you're sending it down the line, generation by generation. Maybe we'll keep improving, and a couple generations down the line, we might make some good people. <laughs> it's like that old Leonard Skinner song: "Be a simple kind of man," you know. Yeah. So, good good advice. It is just you gotta just. You're right, though. You know, life you gets complicated. I can see your life's very complicated. Yeah, it is. More so all the time. So, don't don't get in over your head, man. 
It's hard to know. Because all of a sudden it all comes crashing down on you and it's like, ah, shit, what am I going to do now? You know? I know. Uh, Fear of that has kept me from doing anything fun for a lot of my life. I'm done with that shit. Yeah. I really am trying to just like not live in fear. Yeah, because that's a horrible way to live. Yeah. You know? And it's hard because there's a lot of threats out there. Yeah. But... No, I, I, I think about this often that the the mix of the amount of selfless love that my mother is willing to give others, she knows that that's the way you're supposed to be, to right. put yourself last, be humble, give. Right. And, on the, and I don't always do that. I try as much, best I can. But on the other side of that, you taught me how to not let the world walk all over me. And how to secure my safety and my position and my family before anything else. And to build a platform to be able to grow from. Right. Like, I, I couldn't have become what I am without either one of you guys. But I'm also not, a, you know. Speak the proper Christianese. Yeah, I, I yeah. go out of my way not to do that. Yeah. It turns off. That was the problem I always had with church is so much of it was so much posturing and power tripping and all that stuff among people. It's sin. You know, and it was, I don't know, I resisted. So, you know, mom was at every church function and involved and everything else. And I was involved in what I wanted to be involved in. But a lot of people, I just flat told them no. Well, when you You came in to be a Sunday school teacher for a couple of years there, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was a fucking crazy thing for you to do. Yeah. Like you you were the last person who probably wanted to do that. And you did a great ah, job. I had a blast doing that. We that was fun. We had more fun with you in there than anyone else. Yeah. Like playing that. I mean, we played a lot of that game where you hit each other with balls of tape. Yeah. Pharaoh. We loved it. Yeah. We were learning all about the history of Egypt. The kiss of death. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, just... Yeah, that was that was fun. People were always so shocked when they found out I was teaching Sunday school. And mm-hmm. I'm like, why would you think that was weird? And then it'd make them all uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, the, vi- the vibe that I'm getting here is not Sunday school teaching. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But it worked. Yeah. Well, well another thing that you You have to right. think like a kid to hang out with a kid, you know, and I yeah. do. I think like a little kid. Me too. I got that from you and mom both. You yeah. both are so good with children. Oh, your mom's so good with grandkids. It just blows me away. I always knew she was going to be. Yeah. Always knew it. Yeah, she's very nurturing. Yeah. And she's just fun. She gets down to their level. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I don't know. I can see, like, with Jed, she spends a lot of time with Jed. And I think she is Jed's favorite person. Probably. You know. Jed is gonna be a better person for knowing her. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's absolutely gonna, it's, the grandma relationship is so special. Yeah, it is. It's, I never really had much in the way of moms, but I I had grandmothers, killer grandmothers, and I've still got one left. Grandma Myrtle is ninety nine years old. Ah oh, man. She's one of my you favorite know? people on the planet. Yeah, she is a sweetheart. She always has been. And she she married my grandpa 
uh, about the time I was born or maybe I was a year old or something. So I've always known her as Grandma Myrtle, mm-hmm. you know, so, and I had Grandma Eula. She was a kick. You know? Yeah, yeah, I remember her pretty well. She was fun, Grandma. Grandma Phyllis, she was different, but she loved me. She was cool. And then I had my grandpa's wife, Dorothy. She was cool. Kind of was my mom when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, she was a good lady. Great cook, man. She could cook. I never really put it together before, but yeah, you did have a lot of grandma. Everyone had been divorced and remarried. Yeah. And all at a pretty early in my life, so to where they were always just there. Mm-hmm. You know, other than Dorothy. I get, well, I think well, I was. you eventually lived with her. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, you probably were close with her, too. Yeah, she was a good lady. Real she classy. Like it. I, th- I was trying to think while I was getting ready for this podcast, I was th- trying to think of the, my favorite fatherhood memories of being a boy. And I think my top one was the Dodge Dart. And yeah. That's, that's like a, a year and a half long memory wrapped into a whole bunch of different. And yeah. like, I, I still will reference that time in my life when I'm working on cars now, just like the, the problem solving ability. Like you, you did that at a perfect time in my development to where it cemented some concepts in my mind about how to solve problems yeah. that have never left me. Yeah. Like, so you bought this old, beat-up, 68 Dodge Dart. 73. Oh, 73? 73 Dodge Dart. I paid 80 bucks for it. Years. $80. But, yeah, it was old, beat-up car. It was actually in pretty decent shape for... It was rusty, price. but it ran good. Yeah. Slant 6. And um, it didn't... Yeah, it ran good, but it needed... I mean, I don't even know if it needed new spark plugs and stuff, but you, you had us change all the spark plugs and the cap and rotor and change the oil and... Check mm-hmm. all the tires and like you had us do all of the stuff that you need to know how but, to do. You know, you were car. nine years old. You need to learn this shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Jake was seven. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. We had to get phone books to stack on the driver's seat for Jake to be able to see over the steering wheel. Yeah. And, but yeah, that's how we learned how to not only drive a and car. And then I let you but, drive it around the motorcycle track until yeah. you destroyed it. That parking lot was the perfect size. Cause it we, was four acres. We could get going fast enough to really have some fun and thrash, <laughs> yeah. but not fast enough to where we were going to kill each other. Yeah. And yeah, that was fun. We, I mean, we were going over little jumps and stuff in that car. Yeah, right? that's how our right front wheel and the A-arms got all bent up. Yeah. You know. With Christian Bassey. Was there, yeah, think. right. That was the last time we got to run that. Run the old dart. Loop. Yeah. That pretty much killed it. Yeah. Yeah, but, but they, you know, Dodge Darts are tough, but they're not made to go over motorcycle jumps. Yeah. You know. I was really excited in, like, I think 2012 when they started putting the Dart out again. Yeah. Uh, I never, I was like, I'm going to buy that car just as a throwback. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, the memory I have most, I always thought when I made you the most happy was when we went up to Grandpa Donnie's in Vancouver and I bought that XL600 Honda from him. Uh-huh. And then I think I was looking for a helmet and we went to Portland cycle and they had that little, uh, Suzuki DS 80 mm-hmm. left over from the year before they had two of them there and you were sitting on it and stuff. And I was looking at it. I had a big pocket full of money and I'm like, wow, that's cool. 
Uh, some told me just buy it. And I said, you like it? And you're like, yeah. And then Uncle Chris started it up. In the store. In the store. Pissed yeah. the salesman all over. And I was filthy dirty. You kids were dirty because we'd been working at the shop and then ran up there to grab that other motorcycle. And they thought, oh, these fucking jokers don't got no money or nothing. And then they'd come in and start the motorcycle in the store and all this. And the guy started giving us a bunch of shit. And I said, how much you want for it? And he's like, oh, well, it's $1,900. And I said, oh, you can do better than that. I'll give you $1,200. It's last year's bike, you know. And he's like, oh, no. We settled on $1,420. That's such a good deal. And I bought it, and we took it home. And all the way home, we had it all strapped down the back of the van. You sat on it like you were riding it as we are going down the road. You made me get off. I remember uh, when we yeah, got it was dangerous on the freeway. Yeah, you made me get off, and I was <laughs> in the front seat, and I just turned my head around and just stared at it yeah. the whole way home. You couldn't believe it. Yeah, I, I was in love. The same thing when we bought Jake's bike. I was at Longview for a paint seminar at Evergreen Paint, and the cycle shops across the street. And of course, I show up everywhere a half hour early. So I wandered over there, and I've been wanting to get Jake bike because he had the 50 yeah even though i had rebuilt it and everything it was too small for him it was too slow he couldn't it was too up. slow yeah and so i went in there and i'm looking around and i'm bullshitting with the guy and once again i had a pocket full of money and it was like you know i ended up not going to the paint seminar i bought the motorcycle brought it back to the shop did all the you know looking it over and checking it out, starting it up and rode it and everything. And that was a Yamaha, right? Yeah, a little Yamaha, Yamaha PW80. PW. Yeah. Which yeah. was a great little bike. Yeah, it was. For Jake, he wasn't very old. Oh, yeah, because it was automatic shift. Yeah, no, right. No clutch. No clutch. That was cool. Man, yeah. he was, Jake was a good rider. Yeah, he, he was. He naturally was just more brave. Yeah. I, I couldn't do... Oh, I never forget how coming down that big hill up in the logging roads, up by Bricks Road. Uh-huh. And we're coming down. There's deep ruts, and there's like a 400-foot drop-off. I was so scared I crashed on purpose. <laughs> Jacob comes bombing down. That was before I rebuilt the front end and the brakes and everything on that little 50. And he's just balls to the wall coming down that hill, just rode it out like a pro. And I, I was thinking he was going to die right there. You know, yeah. it was scary. Yeah, the first day he ever rode a motorcycle, he almost crashed into that big trailer. That trailer, yeah. And we didn't have a helmet, so I had strapped a hard hat onto him, made a <laughs> chin strap for it. And I'm running after screaming, stop, stop, you know. And Not expecting He's like, what's the problem? Up. You know, yeah. I'm like, fuck, you came within a foot of the tongue of that fucking trailer. It would have killed you, you know. Yeah, he's always uh, been pretty brave. That's that that's stuff. why I didn't continue with the motorcycles, because, you know, possibly both of you were going to get hurt, and Jake was going to get killed. That's the reason I haven't bought a road bike. Yeah. Is because I don't trust someone not to run me over. Yeah. But I really, really want one. Oh, yeah, there's nothing like it. I just can't do it. I think yeah. I just think of how mad I'd be at myself if I fucking died. Yeah. Yeah, I've had some close calls on that 600 and on that Honda Shadow, the 1100. Yeah. Where I was just, you know, going 100 miles an hour or better. Yeah. And shit happens all of a sudden. And that feels really good. Yeah, it does. But then when you're like, oh, fuck, I went too far. 
I'm going to die. And somehow you make it through and it's like, I got to quit riding bikes. That's the same thing that happened with drugs. Yeah. <laughs> like you, get, you can only have so much fun and then you start realizing it's going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and kids did that, both of those to me. <laughs> I don't want to die. Yeah. I, I value right. my life a lot more than I used to. Hey, full circle. That's about fatherhood. Yeah, like, that's right. I, I really, uh, it's changed me. It, it makes me want to protect and them you're a good dad. more than anything else. From what I can see, you're doing a good job. I'm trying to. You know, I hope each generation of our family, the parenting gets a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, within another 40, 50 years, it'll be pretty pretty darn good. I hope so. <laughs> you know, Times change. When I, when I realized that I was going to have kids, I told myself, my kids are not going to have to go through the shit I had to go through. And we didn't. And you didn't. But you had to go through the shit that you did go through. We had our own, a whole other kind of shit. Yeah, a whole different kind of happens. shit. It wasn't as traumatic as what I had to go through, but it was it was just different. Yeah. You know? I, I really don't ever forget about that. Like... It's not, everyone doesn't start at the same place. So really to judge your performance as harshly as you do and as like it, it bums me out because I, I think we turned out good. So I think that yeah. regardless of whether you did it the way you would do it now or not, it, it worked out and God knew what was happening. Yeah. And, and you can't, you know, get too wrapped up in the past because no. there's nothing you can do about it. It's done. Yeah. You know, you can, so all you do is try to look at the good things that came from it. You not only got, have to forgive other people, you have to forgive yourself. Exactly. And, uh, That's exactly right. I have. I mean, it's, it doesn't mean you don't have regret. No. But, and you learn from it. You don't do it again, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you can't let it control your future. No. And, and they keep you no. in a prison. No, huh? It's, it's just... Nope. Yeah. But yeah, you like the fact that you basically rolled right out of a very traumatic 20 years and started a family fresh off that. Yeah. So like you, you had, and you started a business also. Yeah. That's the thing. Like I'm, I'm still, I'm 32 and I, that's the concept of starting my own business scares me. And if I would have been as good of a businessman as I was a body man, I would have done a lot better. Yeah. How do you, you know? expect to do both? Like, uh, I don't know. You shouldn't start a business unless you know what the hell you're doing. It, that's probably true. <laughs> you know, but you know, we had some lean times. We had good times and lean times. I mean, it was one or the other. Yeah. The, the one thing I definitely inherited from you is the, you know, Captain Fun Time. When you got <laughs> a pocket full of cash, it's so hard not to be like, yeah, sure, everybody get dessert. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah let's go find some prime rib. It just feels Remember good. that time we took, I took your kids and all the neighbor kids. The neighbor kids, too. We all hopped in the van and drove around Astoria until we found somewhere that had prime rib. Yep. And we all had giant cuts of prime rib. Nobody could eat it all. No. But uh, that was before I even started eating the whole steak ever. Like I would just eat the, <laughs> the very center and leave yeah. all the, the good parts. Right. But yeah. Yeah. I do that kind of stuff where I'm just like impulsively like, ah, let's make a memory. Yeah. Just do something fun. I, not me. It's like, well, I got enough money to do it right now. And that's what I want to do. So that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. You know, but, uh, 
should have saved that money for harder times. But then where's the fun, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's you know, you never know how it's going to go. Money money is weird, and it's it's hard to figure out how to use it when you don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> we had some other uh, restaurant experiences in the same place, Faith Prime Rib. Yeah. Did you talk about that in one of your podcasts? I think I have. I think you did, yeah. We were no longer welcome at Stephanie's Cabin. Yeah. Was it still Spiffy's, or was it Stephanie's it was Cabin? Stephanie's Cabin, I think, with the bacon. When I freaked it. out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Hey, you know yeah. what happens. You know, and that waitress was being a bitch. <laughs> she was being a bitch, but... And then your mom grabbed a piece of my bacon off my plate, which, you know, she, lucky she didn't get a fork in the back of her hand. I, it was a very tense moment, and she and knew what she was doing. Next thing I know, I zapped out and swooshed shit off the table and called the waitress a cunt. And yeah, it was rough. She was like, I'm calling the cops. Yeah, I'm she like, did, too. So I'm like, everybody run for the van. <laughs> yeah. My favorite part of that memory is like after all that, all the dust had settled. And uh, do you remember we were trying to get out of the parking lot? And yeah. There was an older couple in their car. Like we had to wait for them to close their doors and back. And it's just like we're all just sitting there in extremely tense. Thinking the cops were racing yeah. towards us. And then you're just like furiously angry. And then we all we get past them and we're driving down the road and it's calm for like five seconds of silence and you're just like fucking old people <laughs> yeah i do we, remember that we all laughed really hard it's <laughs> like wow yeah put a bow on it yeah. yeah and those poor old folks were just you know out having breakfast they probably started leaving the restaurant when the commotion was happening. Probably. <laughs> they were still working on it. They're coming. <laughs> Here they come. Yeah. Anyway, I better yeah. go pick up Amelia. Okay. But I just thought I'd stop by and say hello and happy Father's Day and I love you. Thank you. When is Father's Day? The 20th. Of June. June 20th. June, June 20th. Okay. Okay. <sighs> I have to remember that because I still have a father. Yeah. Yep, and he probably deserves a happy Father's Day. Yeah. Pat on the back, slap on the ass, something. Yeah, slap across the face. Yeah, I feel some tension. I'm sensing some tension. <laughs> yeah, that's some typical room. No, he's, he's been real good. Um, yeah, you ready to get out of here? Let's do it. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. And to all the dads out there, I know it's a hard job, but it's one of the most important ones out there. And you don't get a lot of credit, but keep doing what you're doing. Quit yelling at everybody. Go fuck your wife. Make her come. Oh, don't say that. What? You don't want that? <laughs> I All right, wanna... fine. Oh, don't my make gosh. her come. Jeffrey. Babe, we're not live. This is so this is, crude. It's just you and me in here. I mean, I say so much like, worse. Make love to your wife. I want to shout out the dads, though, that are like, doing the dad thing like the dads that are coaching their kids stuff and showing up for the things oh the dance dads they're good um that is like like the the chaperone dance dads is that what you mean or dance dads like ballet i mean the dads that are taking their daughters to ballet and sitting through rehearsals and then on performance days you know when there are maybe four 
of the same performance over and over. And some of those dads sit through all of them with the tutus and the buns. And you know that they don't like love being there. Or maybe they do love being there and then it's even better. <laughs> but uh, those dads. Yeah. Because that takes a little bit more patience yeah. <laughs> and dedication than being on the basketball court with your son. Probably. But to those dads, too, that are just, like, putting in the time and volunteering. Um, volunteering, period. If, if you're a dad and you're coaching something, thank you. When you were coaching baseball and there were just very few dads who were willing to even come out and help for practice. And we mm -hmm. were just, I say we because I was, like, running the group text. But you were coaching, you know, and you had one dad show up once and then never come back. Mm -hmm. I mean, that time you put in, that extra time is just so valuable. We At least we had Jim. You he, had, we had one dad. Yeah, he was really helpful and yeah. a nice guy. Shout out Jim. Yay, Jim Smith. You were wonderful. But yeah, we had this whole team of boys and one dad who was willing to help other than you. Yeah. And I that happens each year. And I just think... Um, Good job to those of you who are who are showing up. Yeah, because you probably have other stuff to do too. So it's it's a lot of sacrifice. Absolutely. I always think those kids are going to be okay who have parents that are just trying, that are showing up. Yeah, effort is so important. So it means something to know someone's in your back corner. Yeah. My dad always did that for me. Mine too. I feel like my dad has really... We've had our ups and downs in our family, but that's one thing that we all agree on is like he'll give you the shirt off his back. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not very long, but <laughs> you can have it. He'll give you his last five bucks uh, if it means that you can go get something to eat and he has to go hungry. He really he really is a selfless dad, and I appreciate it. And I really I – try, I try to be the same way. It's, it's something that's not easy, so I appreciate it. Yeah. Me too. My dad bought me a house. That's pretty cool. For a minute. All right. Sorry, Dad. You gave me your shirt, but <laughs> in your last five bucks. What a shitty thing for me to say. No, no I just, just like he didn't have all the money to just hand me. But I, my divorce wasn't final. I couldn't buy a house. It would have been, mm -hmm. you know, somebody else's also. He helped, legally. Yeah. He he was your bank basically. So yeah, he like, did he, that. He, he financed your house. He financed you a house. He financed me you a were house living in it. until and I paid the mortgage. Uh huh. Um, but he had to go through that process before I could turn around and finance it myself in my own name. That's huge. Um, and that's, that's such huge. Life-changing thing. That's the thing. Like to have the advantage on life, to have a place to always fall back on. That's a dad's job. I, like that's what I've been trying to get at this entire time is like what is the best part of a dad and what is the like what is the fundamental goal that you should have and it's it's to be that safety net for your family, to build to build something that you can hand off and to build something that you can use to propel your kids into the next whatever, you know? That's really it's a really cool thing. Yeah. I'm trying to I, I want I want that. I want I to feel like I still appreciate that. that so much because our kitchen's torn apart and you, it was very suddenly that we didn't have hot water. We were moving the hot water heater and realized there was a leak and that wasn't going to get fixed right away. And we just called my parents like we're going to live here 
for a few days and that there's always a place to go, albeit not always ideal to move your family of five into your parents' house, but that there's always a place that I'll always have a bedroom there, whether I'm 12 or 18 or 30, however old I was with a broken pelvis, I moved back home then. Um, or 38 with no hot water in your house. I always have a place to go and I feel like my kids do too. So it's continuing with the next generation and he gave us that. That's really special. That was his grandma's house. Yeah. And he is just sharing the love with the next generations. Yeah. And that means something. We love you dads. We love you dads. Thank you. Bye guys. Just now, say it with your chest now. I'm young, I'm free, can't nobody take.